Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Supercoach podcast. You're on again with JB and it feels like it's been a minute since I've recorded because when you go from the two to three recordings per week to zero for a couple of weeks, all of a sudden it feels like you're going to have all this mic rust, which is what I'm now calling it. Uh, and it, it just feels like you, I, I, I feels like I haven't spoken to you in forever, Pistol. You can, you can pick up the phone. And just call me. It doesn't, I don't you want don't to. need the podcast. No, well, I don't want to. After the, after the season's done, <laughs> I just wipe my hands of you guys and, and move into the, into the sunset. No, that's sad. I mean, you have been rejecting my calls, so I guess that, that does explain that. Well, yeah, it does. <laughs> Thanks, like, it's strange that you can get the point live on the podcast, but you still keep calling. <laughs> um, no, no, it's, I feel like it's been a relaxing week and a half since the, uh, the Supercoach season ended. We will quickly go through how you finished the year. I think you, all things said, uh, after a rough start to the season with injuries, you ended up trading your way still into a very good rank, in my opinion. Yeah, it was all right. I mean, the most of the season, I said my team is a, a 3K average team, and I was waiting for the eventual collapse, which happened in the final week. And falling 700 spots to finish one point shy of 3,000 on the dot. So 3,018th, um, which was very deserved given my team was the 3K benchmark for the entire season. Well, that, I mean, to me, that's a successful year. I think anything top 5K, especially if you've been playing the game as long as us, you aim for top 5K consistently. That's how you know you're a consistently good coach, right? You make good decisions. You, you make a safe starting team. 
and then sort of try to trade your way up. And if it doesn't work, you sort of settle for that top 5K finish. 5K if it doesn't is like, you're gonna break way higher than I aim for. Like surely oh, you go by percentage, like 1% at least. I never look at percentage. I could not tell you percentage. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just something top I don't 1K? look at. I look at that big number and, and that's what sort of makes my eye sparkle. Top 1K? Yeah, it's like your, your goal every year. Oh, no, no, of course. Like you, you want to be, I mean, you want to be number one every year. If we want to narrow it all the way down. Is, that's, that's true. We play right. the game. If you didn't finish first, you're a failure. I mean, th- that is kind of my point is that if you're a player <laughs> who is a, in, like you've, an experienced player, you've been playing for many years, I feel if you rank outside the top 5K, you've had an unsuccessful year as an experienced player. That's the way I look at it. So ranking inside the top 5K is is like you've done your job, you threw your, you know, you shot your shot, it didn't go in, and then you settled for another good top 5K finish, which was for you 3K, which is good. I think that's good. I, pre- I appreciate the uh, kind words. I mean, I, I finished, <laughs> I ranked 1696, and I didn't feel like I had an incredible season. I feel like I just teetered around that 1K pretty much all year, especially the last five or six weeks where I didn't move. Um, but I'm okay with that. I'm really content with uh, a rank around 1500. I think it's a, a very successful year. Anytime you, you cut down that 5K down all the way down into the top 2K, I think is great. I still have never got myself a, since they brought in this KFC voucher and drumstick keyring and socks and tracksuits and all that, I've never won a single prize from Supercoach. What? Which is kind Didn't of they have that? What was it twenty? Was it twenty twenty or twenty nineteen when you came one sixty fourth? It that... came in the year after that. The oh, year after that is when no. they started it. Yeah, I know. you can I have know. one of my three if you would like. Oh, brilliant! Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm sad that you're not adding to it and going four from four no. this year. Actually, now it does feel like an unsuccessful year, to be honest. Terrible. Um, people that did have successful seasons, uh, we had the prize league winner. So the first time we've done an overall winner of the prize league, which means you've scored the most points over the course of the entire season in a group of how many coaches are in there? Probably around 100, 120-ish coaches. Something like that. Uh, And you have been the best of the lot, which were contained a lot of high-ranking coaches, which I didn't care to count. Um, Probably would have been a good statistic to throw out there to uh, endorse people to join the prize league. I've got 45 in the top thousand out of a group that must have a hundred odd so nearly oh, half nearly half the group um, great statistic yeah pretty good and the winner of that that meant he had the best season of all those good coaches was windy hill wizard who's a multiple mug uh winner which which is the monthly leading prize which you'd expect to get at least one of if you're going to win the whole thing um and he wins an exclusive first time prize uh, which I don't. I think we have revealed it. It's a Doctor Supercoach collection of bobbleheads. So we'll be hardworking in the off season to get them uh, crafted and out to Windy Hill Wizard, who had just an incredible year. Finished. I think he was inside the top ten by the end of it. Was he? Did he hold on to top five? No, he came twelfth. But I don't know what happened oh, with that. Just slipped out. I think someone in the top ten potentially got disqualified. So I, I don't know what happened with. Yeah. Um, right. 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 Uh, we'll, TB, we'll TBD. Hoping, I'm not sure. I didn't really come out. I'm not really sure what happened with that. I think we were throwing tips to Harold Son about second accounts and <laughs> trying to get him into the prize money. But essentially, an incredible season. Something that I mean, I've I've never been top 100, so something that only the premier coaches get into um, is such an exclusive club. So uh, and now he's going to have some sort of. Cons- uh, I think it's a decent prize to sort of hang your hat on for the year and you know commemorate what a great season it was. 
Um, pretty cool, pretty cool prize, if I say so myself. We, we can add. We can add to that as well. There's, there's a couple of other prize winners in our midst. Uh, the cup winner, the Dr. Supercoach Cup, which is free for all uh, patrons who sign up. So I guess technically not free, but you get in <laughs> no matter what tier you're in. So I guess technically is free, no extra charge, um, which was Timmy's Turtles scored a massive 2784 um, to knock off second place there. So um, he gets an actual physical cup, which is unbelievable. Like, I, I, like trophy. I've never won anything like that in my life. Like, a, yeah, a big cup trophy setup it is awesome <laughs> and the winner of the last coach standing competition was nick uh of the coach of the a team uh finished very strongly with a two seven five six he just basically steamrolled um all the way through i don't think he at any stage was in danger of being eliminated just a really solid season i mean the last five coaches um were all in the top 200 so um, did they all score twenty seven hundred plus in the last round? Did I read they that did. correctly? They did. That's yeah. insane. That is a huge finish. They all were. It was pretty funny. They were in like a little group chat. Basically, there was um, four of the five of them, and they were talking about their their scores each week. Um, and Nick was the only one that wasn't participating in it. So they were all like working out who won, and then they're like, "But we don't know what Nick scored," and then he ends up being the winner. So it was uh, pretty amusing. That is. I, uh, I mean, I feel like it's obviously the prize league winner is the toughest prize to win, but the cup winner and the last coach standing are both such improbable prizes with the adversity you have to get through. Like not having a single week outside of the top 80% of coaches or whatever are left in that LCS is crazy consistency. Like you have to be such a high really coach hard. to do that. It's super hard. And then hard. the cup winner has to be uh, some of the – all the prize – league players who we just said are pretty much all top 1k are all in that cup all three podcasters are in the cup all of our rivalry league participants are in that cup and timmy's turtles comes through it's just the odds of winning any of those prizes are so astronomical but they're such awesome prizes uh to, to get a hold of so congratulations to those guys i guess yeah awesome good job, job. by them um, all right, we've got a little bit more housekeeping before we get into... I mean, this is going to be an... Ex- I haven't even spoken about it. Exclusively Slack-generated question-based podcast, but it is actually our year-in-review podcast, which we love doing and we love looking back on when next preseason kicks off. I think this one more than ever is going to be one that we try to look back on while our um, clarity is a little bit clearer, having just gotten through the season that was, which is a very uh, turmoil driven season I, I i that's how i like to look back on it but you might have different thoughts um first of all we've got to get to the cancer council there was a couple of donations in there before we move on yeah well the, there's there's a big one <laughs> uh michael gunner thanks very much for your very 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 generous donation he says i carried dacos donuts for the last three weeks of the season it's also a dumb thing because as my final trade i didn't realize i traded out my defensive dpp link so could have oh. saved his donut. Um, a grouped up donation based on his average. These are the points that I missed, which were a lot. So uh, very right, much math. appreciated, um, Gunnar. That's a, a, an epic way for us to finish our season. Um, you know, our final tally at this point is uh, 28,626. So awfully close, 1,400 off the 30,000 goal, which would just be, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all ridiculously amazing, but yeah, every, every time we hit one of those major milestones, it really 
sinks in a little bit more, um, you know, how much as a community we've all raised uh, for the Cancer Council. Uh, it, I mean, it's beyond words. At this point, you, we can't even explain the generosity. Um, and I think we try to explain it each time and it, it still doesn't quite hit the mark. So um, just incredibly appreciative of everything that everyone can contribute there. So, um yeah, what a what a what an effort by everyone. <laughs> um, I have a quick Patreon effort before uh, Patreon oh. update before we move on. Um, there's no new signups, but there should be. Uh, the next few months of Patreon are free. Uh, all you have to do is pay for the first one. I know there's no Supercoach happening right now, but if you pay for the month of September, if you join now, you get the uh, everything happening in the Fantasy Premier League channels, everything happening in the NBA Fantasy channels, or just the NBA chat in general. Uh, in general itself, we're having Supercoach discussions. You get through the entire final series, obviously, and then even the opening of the game, uh, which happens generally, late December um, we start seeing uh, player releases items stuff starts going on um, if you cancel at the end of December you have only paid the I think it's the six dollars uh, for the entirety of that time um, so it to me it sounds like a pretty good deal um, you're essentially paying two dollars a month to get in um, so the next few months are free after you pay for this initial um, September month which uh, I mean Goes without saying, I think it's a great deal because I know what Slack is and I know how unbelievable it is and how fun it is um, and how useful it is as a tool. But um, yeah, absolutely. If you were inclined to sign up, if you're sitting on the fence prior to this, um, I think it's a great opportunity to just come test it out, see if it's for you. If it's not, then absolutely guilt-free. You just jump out after a few months. We got obviously discussions about the final series still going on in AFLW Fantasy. Um, we've got yep. a, a channel up and running, so having a bit of fun that just NBL outside the as well. just outside the top 100 in that JB fun fact mm. <laughs> how many players are in, are in that one i guess how many is in it there like like 20 grand 20k or something it's, sh- nice. it's sh- shooting up at the moment um, so yeah it's nice very good. it's going going well yeah. that was genuine i wasn't trying to talk down your rank and no no I, I, players, but I, uh, it wouldn't have shocked me either because, it was a, you know. I had a terrible round one so I wasn't mentioning it and then nearly won the weekly in week two so right, now, now right. I'm right back in now I'm talking about yeah, it naturally <laughs> naturally um, okay we have a lot to unpack here there are a lot of questions some of them might go for a while this podcast might go for a while but I think everything we discuss is going to be fun light-hearted um, good discussions. You and I are going to disagree. You and I are going to agree on a lot. There, there, there are going to be a lot of questions where there's no right answer. We're just going to chat it out. Um, so let's just kick straight into it. Um, uh, am I doing shout outs for these questions? Yeah, all right, fine. Boston has asked, could you boys please get your ah. crystal balls out and predict some potential breakouts, traps, or premiums to fall off next year? Thanks for a great year. Lots of love. Now, obviously, we can treat all these questions um as like little introductory topics or yeah we give one or two answers for each one or just whatever comes to mind so um straight off the bat some potential breakouts um so i would say players that were bordering on premium status this year but didn't quite get into it um i mean i've got a cheat can i can i use my cheat answer straight off the bat can i say <laughs> ldu is gonna break into uh, like uber it, that's premium that's such a cheat but i'll get it i'll is. let you have it 
It is. Um, I mean, he's the name on everyone's lips in our Slack at the moment. Everyone's talking about starting him next season. It would be a very cheap way to answer your slap me if I don't start this year. So I'm not going to allow it, even though he'd be mine. I'm not. I'm not picking him. I don't think so. That's that's. We can Good. have a discussion about that later. No, I meant in general, not for slap me if I don't start. Oh wow. Okay. Well, yeah. Fair enough. Oh, I think he's <laughs> going to be a potential breakout. No, um, fair enough. Into into Uber status. One. We're talking. 117 plus range of, of average, I think, yeah. pretty comfortably. Oh, I can see that happening for sure. So, yeah, that's cheating. Pick another one. Oh, you want me to go back? <laughs> no, <to that? laughs> no, no. I, I'm, I'm like trying to buy time to think of my own answer, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> um, all right, I might, I might have a couple of okay. attempts, or oh, I've really, really digging that nail in. Um, so if I can steal one of your cheap ones, yep. Um, I think we could look at somebody like Goulden, um having a big year. I know he was, I guess, obvious in the final series, but like after the buy, he averaged one sixteen, and it's his it's his ceiling for me that's really impressive and important. And I know that Swans players get thrown around all the time and make it really uh, difficult to to trust, but. Um, Watching him in that final, when the game needed to be won, he just got left in the midfield uh, pretty much for the entire second half. And he had 98% time on ground, which I wasn't super sure he would have been capable of. But if that's the level that he can get to, where he can play 98% time on ground, majority in the midfield, that's a that's a bloody scary proposition. Um so I think there's upside there with like an increase of time on ground, increase of role. And to be honest, they look way better when he's in the midfield. They look so much better. So, uh, And he's the best kick in the team. The, the, the way yeah. they try to get him the ball is like is so blatantly obvious and you can see teams try to stop it. And unless you're going with a hard tag on him, um, I just don't think you can stop it because like he goes out and helps out in defense and then he's popping up on the wing and then he's popping up in the full pocket. And it's... His running capacity is it's so underrated. I think he's yeah, I mean he's that next generation. Him and like you look at players like Zach Butters who are making that leap as well at the moment. Um yeah. that next generation that are really just gonna blow up, I think. Yeah. So if if I if I'm copying your cheat <laughs> with with LDU, I think I'm I think I would be picking him. Okay, I've got I've got more cheat ones. I mentioned Zach Butters who finished with a five run average. <laughs> We're just going to answer cheat ones for every single answer. Um, <laughs> I mean, a little bit in this one because yeah, I don't know if people will, are That's completely so early, considering yeah. these guys who ended well. But Tom Green is another one, hundred eleven average for the season. I think he increases that by five plus next year. I think he really showed in the last five weeks that he can go 120 plus for a sustained period. I didn't see that in the opening rounds. We saw a lot of inconsistency and then we saw an injury. Um, and either side of that injury, there were average scores. I think um, there was pretty much that middle patch of the season that really, I think a lot of people were just questioning whether he'd even get there. Um, and then that last five weeks to finish the season really did prove um, a lot of people wrong that, that were doubting him at that point, um, myself included. It was just great to see him take that next step, which we all, I think, Dr. Supercoach-wise, predicted would happen this year, um, but didn't quite. Next year, I think he, he definitely has that in him. Um, and now I'm having a bit of a scroll just to see who else so, I can sort of cherry pick. I think there's the two names that spring to my mind as, as actual breakout potential candidates. Um both Hayden Young and, and Sam Flanders, I think ah, both the, of them. 
genuinely was the next two that I was going to, yeah. Okay, I think they're the, the, I'll put quotation marks, like the obvious pre-season, pre-season to the pre-season um, breakout contenders just because of yep. you know positional change in the last half of the year, but getting a lot more midfield time, both of them. Um, you know, yet to be seen how that plays out through the preseason. But I think when the when the team picker opens, you could probably pop them in, uh, assuming Flanders is a forward. Um, you can probably pop both of them, maybe even Himmelberg safely in your side at least until the the practice matches. Taron Thomas is one that I'll be watching with interest as well. If he gets a midfield spot locked down and is still forward forward eligible. Um, we spoke about him when he was well about 500k yeah. two seasons ago. Now he's going to come in and at around a similar price. Um, and if he's got that midfield role, he averaged uh, on the run home pretty well. It was just whenever he was out of that midfield, un- I mean, you can't rely on him. Whenever he's in the midfield, he's unbelievable. So um, can you know, he get a midfield role? Well, I think it depends on a few factors, but it kind of depends on the Jai Simpkins. And I think North Melbourne need to look at who's more, yeah. most effective where. Uh, and Simpkin, you saw get pushed into the forward line a little bit more, whether that was pr- to protect his body when he was getting a, a few injuries late in the season or not. Not quite sure, but it's just something to watch in the preseason because he could rocket up into that 100-plus average um, as a forward, only, uh, forward, forward midfield as well. So... Um, yeah, look, I just think there are a lot that are sort of hovering around that range, aren't there? Um, if I mean, if we are expected to pick someone to go from like a 60 average to a 100 average, I don't really have players no. line up off the top of my head there. But, you know, those, there's a lot of players I feel are on the cusp of breaking into that next sort of wave of, of premium talent. Yeah. Uh, but they're all kind of predictable as it is. Um, but every guy that I've spoken about so far, like I have strong belief in not just piggybacking on someone else's belief. I, I really do have strong belief. And the two that you mentioned, Flanders and Young, absolutely fit that mold as well. Just strong belief that they're going to be really good in the right role. Yeah, I don't have anybody that's... I mean, if, you, if you're if you baiting me into like trying to say, let's say like Sheldrick, I, I just don't see it, um, you know, someone literally breaking out to that 100-plus range. I don't see any of those really cheap guys making that transition. Yeah. It's more of the not-quite-uber-premiums that break into the uber-premiums. Um, that I think that's where most of the value seemingly will lie next year. All right, so just an extension of this question was traps or, or, or slash primos to fall off next year. Um, I mean, at this point, I struggle to come up with any that are super obvious. I think like a Luke Jackson when Sean Darcy comes back is an obvious one to, to drop off. Um, like I think Max Gorn takes a huge step without Grundy. I think that one's pretty obvious, but that's the opposite of a drop off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the um, opposite. Like it's uh, hard to unless – you, unless you can sort of identify a role change or an injured player coming back to affect him or age, like an age drop off. Lockie Neal? I'm scrolling through the list and – yeah, Lucky Neil, he was kind of... He's on that age where, sort of drop-off When did he time? finish up? 110 average. Yeah. I mean, he had the drop-off this year, I guess. He, he's I mean, already he could sort drop of, further. Oh, 100% he could. And I, I don't know if he... I don't know if he can. I think, like, with the role that he has in you know, a past Brownlow medalist, I think... You know, you saw Selwood's later years get towards the still around the 105 mark. I think Neil is 
is pretty much say for a 100 to 110 average. But like, I don't think he's going to go 115 plus probably no. maybe ever again. Like no. that, that would shock me more than him just sitting around 110. Yeah, I think I think he's probably the biggest drop off candidate. I guess you could maybe say like if if something happened at Adelaide and they decided to play like Crouch over Rory Laird or something like that, maybe um, he's in like a potential. I don't know why they would do that, but that's the only other I guess one that I can see that could have a drop off. All the others are like young and up and coming. It all really happened this year. This year was huge. Yeah, this year was very, very big for players, just sort of young players getting in good roles and succeeding yeah. in those roles. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm scrolling through this list of like the top averages for the season and like there are some guys that you look at and just say, you know, they're not going to be the same. I mean like Cogs is going to have like yeah. a drop-off just Cogs. because he's <laughs> back in the midfield and he's just not going not gonna to average well enough as a midfielder. Um, there are some players that you can look at and say, yeah, they'll drop off a bit from where they were. But I mean, to the point where, like, are we going to get a Jack McRae level, like 15 plus point drop off, 20 plus point drop off from a player? No. Like, it's hard to predict at this stage without some sort of role change or something, right? Yeah. That's it. Took Miller. I can't believe how Took Miller finished the year. Um, okay. Uh, M is asking what teams will make the top eight or drop out? This could impact Supercoach. It's a great so how, question. How, uh, how versed are you on predicting top eight to season away? Uh, yeah, definitely count me in. Um, that's too easy, some would say. Um, let's see. I think we're going to have a St. Kilda fade, which yep. I, I didn't think that's a hot take for anybody. Um, they're probably my number one team to, to fall out. Um, otherwise, I think that the Giants probably are the next possible team to fall out, but I think it will be a relatively stable or more stable top eight than people think. Um, usually there's a, a lot, lot of, of youth that... and a lot of good structure in the top eight this year. Like Collingwood, well-structured, well-coached. Brisbane, well-structured. They've been on the march for a long time. Poor have a lot of youth. It would be hard yeah. to see like a, that sort of mammoth drop-off from them in one season. Melbourne have the structure and the experience in there. Carlton are always there and about. So I could, I they got know, a I top could see them paper, falling out. But so I think it'll stay. In. According to you, they definitely <laughs> do. Um, St. Kilda, I can see more of like they overachieved this year. So that's sort of hence the drop-off. But you know, not because of anything crazy, but just because they naturally overachieved. GWS, I think, are a similar type of thing. They sort of left their late, left their run late, um, as did Sydney. But any of those teams getting taken over by the Bulldogs, Adelaide, who are, are going to be a very, very big one next year, I think. Um, and then the likes of you know Geelong, who are always there and abouts. Is this are they finally going to fade out, or are they going to bounce back? Fremantle have such a young list. Like there are so many clubs that could just bounce straight back in um, and take over one of those bottom four. Clubs. Um, I don't think any of those clubs, like Adelaide, Essendon, Geelong, Richmond, Fremantle, Gold Coast, I don't think any of them are at the level. Adelaide are. Yeah, I, th- I think it, it could be Adelaide, but it really depends on what they do with their midfield mix. Well, Adelaide were a top eight team yeah. this season. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, th- I think it's pretty much like um, Bulldogs will jump in, Saints go out and that will be the only change. The reason I'm a bit skeptical on Adelaide is like, if you had to say to me at the beginning of last year, 
you say, what's the future of, like, I'm currently staring, I'm looking at my team. We finished the year of 2022 and we finished with a midfield of Ben Keys, um, Dawson um, and Laird and then Sloan as my midfield. It's 2022. And I say, okay, that's where we're at now. Now we're building a future of the club. Who's in my midfield, right? And then you're thinking, okay, well, we need some speed. You know, it's Rochelle. Obviously, Barry at that stage was looking quite good. Schoenberg was looking promising. And I'm like, okay, these are the youth. These are the guys that are going to bring our club to the next level. And then we're sitting here in 2023 and we're at the season and I'm looking at who got the CBAs in the last you know week. And I'm like, okay, so it's Crouch, Dawson. I mean, Sloan was playing in the midfield, Laird and Keys. I'm like, okay, so it's the exact same midfield. That doesn't scream to me like major improvement, especially when most of those guys aren't in the long-term future of the Adelaide midfield. Like there wasn't, there was an improvement all over the ground except in the midfield. I'll be shocked if they don't make the top eight next year. All right. Fair enough. I mean, the improvement all over the ground was fantastic. So I, I've I've spoken about how highly I, I rate Adelaide before on the podcast. So I'm not. Yeah, they just have enough pieces, shocked. and and they someone like Matt Crouch isn't an old player. Like he's still no. young. Um, and they've obviously just re-secured him. See and what they do with free agency, of course. But yeah, I mean, Sloan should retire, should have retired this year. Um, he's not he's not offering. I don't think enough to be a guaranteed starter in that team, but. The other three midfielders, uh, four midfielders with keys going through there, um, I think they're all good enough. And you know, to, to be good next year, I'm I'm not sure in five years' time if any of those midfielders will still be there besides Dawson. Um, but next year, I absolutely think they're a top eight side. They were a top eight side this year. They need um, Rochelle or Rankin or someone with speed to to add. To yeah, that oh, of mix. course. They need one guy. I think Rochelle was fine through there, but yeah, whatever for whatever reason it didn't work out for him this year but look, I, I'll be very surprised if they miss out next year Bulldogs I think a high candidate to break in they're probably going to have a Brownlow medalist on their list um, so yeah. look, it's those are the teams that I would sort of strap myself to and say yep these guys are going to bounce in yeah and I'm with the you. obvious guys bouncing out yep <coughs> oh my lord okay so I actually kind of wanted to expand on this a little bit. As M says, it will impact on Supercoach or could impact on Supercoach. Um, with the easier draws in the bottom in the bottom 10, would you... I think I always feel like there's something to like getting on the hot team, the team that starts like hot. And I know we look at fixtures for this, but I feel like we kind of forget that every season. And like the hot team always has like some high pie getting players for Supercoach. It, it just feels like it always starts that way. I mean, that sort of... So, so when you said top two, so it's broken up into a 6-6-6. Six, six, six. So like the bottom six teams this year that get the easiest draws, West Coast, North Melbourne, Hawthorne, Gold Coast, Fremantle and Richmond. So they're the so teams for example, who are the target. For example, Fremantle and Gold Coast Yeah. in this example, those are two teams I could foreseeably see going better. Yes, next year. Like, that's right. Considerably better at the point where both teams, I think at some point, will be in the top eight um, for a couple of weeks pending their draw. And yeah, I agree. whether they finish in there or not, I'm not sure. But like, are those teams that you were looking at potentially targeting or is it the teams that we think will still be in the top four winning most of their games 
rather than trying to sort of catch lightning in a bottle with the other teams. I mean, obviously, there's a mixture of the two. You don't start 18 players from one team. <laughs> but um, I just think like every year I look at the Supercoach winner and well, not every year. I look at I, – I know some people within the top five or ten and a lot of the reason that they've gotten there is because I'm a Bulldogs fan and Bulldogs had a great year and I started four of them this year. <laughs> and, it, and it's like – do you know what I mean? Yeah, it happens. Like you, you actually probably know the exact example I'm talking about there. Um yeah. With someone that we know who finished in the top 10 who just rode like their team having a really good successful season. But I think there's something like to that. I think there's something to picking the right team that's going to go crazy and, and just watching them a bit closer in the preseason just to see if they have viable options. Yeah, I think there is something to it. And, you know, it it might not be important for that that super primo. So, you know, we, we know Bontempelli, wherever Bulldogs finish on the ladder is going to be yeah, a super yeah, premium, yeah. right? But when you're trying to pick out that breakout contender that might get a bit more of the pie, someone like Hayden Young, um, you know, Fremantle getting an easy draw, that might really impact him. If, they, if, if you see Gold Coast line up with the entire bottom six, you might think, hmm, well, there's value in someone like Sam Flanders, so I might start him and try and, you know, Take, take advantage of that early value. Um, so I think you do have to look at fixtures and to use your example, LDU as well. If he gets really easy fixtures to start the season, you know, back-to-back um, West Coast and Hawthorne, or maybe not Hawthorne because Taggers, but um, yeah, if he gets really easy fixtures, you might want to jump on for the early ride. And given we saw LDU start with, what was it, like a 155 and a 144 or something like that, it was yep, yep. pretty much proof that if you ride the fixtures with him, you can get some big, bigger ceiling scores. Um, and that's if he didn't get injured. All those guys in those first two weeks that held LDU, had LDU were the ones at the top of the rankings. Yeah, I think it's I think it's so interesting. It's something that I think I... Like I analyze the fixture and say, you know, this team has a good fixture. But that's kind of it. Whereas <laughs> like, I think the first six... Is, is so important, especially for your starting teams, obviously, um, because you don't want to... Uh, like, there's something to the coaches that jump on those guys towards the end of that. This is something that FPL really teaches you. It's like you get those... You open, you start someone because of those first six fixtures and you think they're going to go well. In FPL, you can just flick them. But in Supercoach, you don't flick them. You hold them all season and then other people jump on them. But if you've got the, the best you know, four fixtures in the first six weeks before people can afford to jump on them... You've sort of you've drained most of their value from that pick already, and then people are just playing catch up on them. Yeah, and you know the fixtures might turn eventually. Like, I think it's just so important, and something I just wanted to point it out this podcast because I really want to remember when I listen back next preseason. Hello, future JB. Um, that fixtures are super important, and sometimes I can really underrate them, especially when selecting my starting team. Especially when I start getting crazy and going, "Oh, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy's fun, this guy's fun," and then just forgetting all of the fundamentals that sort of start you off on a really good note, which is a lot of which lie in, in good fixtures. So, so in the I guess on the other hand, if I think about the podcast we do in twenty twenty one. You know, come off a great season. There's super coach changes, all very exciting. And I go into 2022 analyzing the fixture, and I see the perfect opening six weeks for GWS. Couldn't be easier fixtures. And I load that team up six premiums or whatever it was, or five premiums uh, with GWS players. 
and GWS out of nowhere become bad <laughs> and they don't score well and all of the premiums flop and I end up after like three weeks with one of them left in my side um, and then I essentially do that again this year but anyway the point is that sometimes I mean you take that risk and that gamble that that team's going to go really well but also sometimes the team just surprises you and even though they have easy fixtures they they're in the bottom like like Gold Coast, for example, right? We're expecting them to bounce back if they have really easy fixtures in the first six weeks. But theoretically, they could lose all those games and then just be the worst team in the competition. And then it wasn't yeah, really much of an advantage. You, you, you have to believe in the product as well. And um, the picks still have to make sense on their own merit. Like if, if Gold Coast is bad, does this pick still make sense? Um, and I mean, I wouldn't advise going three, four, five deep just because of the <laughs> Gold <opening> Coast. <laughs> like, yeah, but, five Gold Coast players it might going be into the, round one. It might be the difference between cheaping out on Took Miller as of, as opposed to cheaping out on yeah, I don't know someone someone Absolutely. who might have you know worse starting fixtures that you might be looking to cheap out on Josh Kelly. Yeah. Um. So it might be that difference. So I, I don't know. I think it's just something that is important to remind ourselves early next year when looking at these players um, because it, it, it is a factor. Like as much as we try to ignore it, it's a definite factor. Um, okay, we've got another question. This is from Keisty. Uh, this one might be a bit long depending Ooh. on how we take it. But Let's do it. Um, make, make a list of things slash mistakes from the season and make a reminder list for next season. For example, start Clara in English. Um, having, com- having a completed team super early, with no trades left for carnage, fallen premiums, more successful to start over mid-price potential. It's okay to have rookies to start on the field and bank the cash, whatever comes to mind. I um, think it's just too easy to forget the year after, blah, 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 blah. Um, okay, so... You're going to have to summarize that for me. I mean, for example, start Clary in English is his example. I mean, I think clear example is start Clary, um, no matter what. I think he's the best <laughs> super coach player in the game. Um, he's going to be a little bit cheaper as well next season. I know we laugh about it because you always find a way to not start him and you drag Chizo and I into that same metric. Hey, don't year. blame me. However, <laughs> Clayton Oliver should have 100% ownership. And JB, if you are listening, you have to start Clayton Oliver unless he is severely injured as we speak right now and not playing in round one. You just have to start him. English, on the other hand, I want to have a discussion about English before we actually get sure. to the crux of this question. Let's do it. I still think the reasoning behind fading English at the start of the season was super, super validated. Because I think if you have... Because think back to the preseason. He had hamstring concerns and concussion concerns. Uh, what, right. I mean, he he had something. The concussion I don't, was it his hammy? He was his hammy. Was he his did hammy? his hamstring like twice or missed training slash game? Yeah, missed training slash twice. Yeah, like, set numerous times. It wasn't just one. Um, and then he had the concussion issues from last season, which we're yes. worried about going into this season. I think that's fine. I think if there are five players like that that you ignore, I think. Percentage-wise, you're going to come out on top most times. The times that <laughs> what you percentage don't, is that? <laughs> the times that you don't is when that player goes absolutely bananas and just becomes one of the best picks in the comp. And that's that's okay 
if you're sticking to your mantra, I still think you come out on top most times when you when you apply that same knowledge to your starting pick. Someone's had multiple hamstring injuries in the preseason. I won't start them. I'll start this alternate option, who I like instead. Um, I think a lot of the time you still come out on top. This was not one of those times, but I think it's a little bit hindsighty to just say, yeah, that, that was the obvious pick because it wasn't. I mean, I started Wits, who had no injury concerns and then got injured in round three. So I may as well so, have chosen all right, English. All right. All right. Let me, let, me, let me also ask you this then. Do you think we overrate the injury concerns in preseason? Oh, it's such a tough question because it's who is it, right? Like, I get, so I get it if English it's English. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. given his in, his injury history, we probably. I mean, I, uh, no. I mean, same as Sicily coming off an ACL. I think there's like some concerns of any player. I mean, maybe not Sicily, but Wits the previous year when he went bonkers when they were like, yeah, he's. 50-50 for round one, no training, coming off an ACL as like a 110-kilogram Ruckman and then like plays every game of the season, averages like 120. Um, I feel like it's fine to fade that player. And English, I, I feel like it was also justified um, missing him. It's just unfortunate when they play 23 games they're like, and they're like the best player of the whole year. But like we knew that, right? Like we knew that we were fading someone who could be R1 yeah. all season long. Um, and we knew that there were alternate options that we believed in, Not maybe not equally, but we believed in enough to think that the English risk wasn't worth it. I don't think that was the wrong line of thinking. And I think if next year, if there's a player, for example, LDU, who's yeah. had injury concerns this season, if he has an interrupted preseason next year, as in, I'm, I don't think it's... I think you're jumping at shadows if it's like they've missed one training session and you're like, oh, God, I can't start them now. I think that's jumping at shadows. But if we see, you know, they've missed the second practice match because of an injury and they're in doubt for round one, for example, that is like you're, you're almost crazy to start them even though you understand the upside. Most times that's not working out for the players who start them. Like Paris. I still think that's true. Parish people wanted to start, and some did, and he hurt his his uh, calf in the preseason, and we were like, you know, don't start Parish. He's had a really interrupted preseason. He's hampered by his calf, and then halfway through the season, he hurts his calf again, and it's the same calf, and he misses periods of time, and he struggled with it as well, um, and that's a preseason injury that happened. I think a lot of the the preseason risks when we went through in our second last podcast of the year when we went through a list of all of the mid-prices and we spoke through, you know, why they didn't work out. And for near, for, for a lot of them, it was they got injured and they were cheap because they were injury-prone or injury-risk and then they got injured. So if we apply the same logic, being like, hey, these guys are injury-prone, that's why they're cheap, and then they get injured, it should kind of be like, hey, these premiums are injury-prone and then they get injured um, and kind of still having that, mindset shouldn't shift too much in fact the risk gets lessened the cheaper they are but for some reason um you know sometimes it works out when it's tim english and he averages 128 across the season but a lot of the time like an injury prone guy that gets sam walsh yeah injury prone guy that the first gets injured. month and then yeah then did his hamstring with you know and missed another four games on top of that yeah 
I mean, these the guys, a lot of the time, they get injured in the preseason and then they do get injured throughout the season um, or, or early on. Like, it's, it's very important to not underrate a injury-free preseason and getting people who, you know, they come into the season and they don't have strapping all over their body. And you're like, okay, these, these guys look right and ready to go. Um, I think that is really important. And as you said, sometimes you just get lucky and you pick an injury-prone player and he plays 23 and dominates. But uh, I don't know if that's the right decision, but it's, it's I think the, it's a, definitely more of a risky decision. Yeah, I think upside obviously is a factor and, and thinking someone you know could potentially be R1 is one thing. Thinking they might be the best player in the game is another. If we thought that about Tim English, I would like to think anyone who thought that about Tim English, um, I mean, he was the second best player in the game this year, um, probably still would have taken that on. Um, I thought there was a, a definite realistic chance that Sean Darcy scored within a few points of him. Um, I thought there were a couple of Ruckman. I thought Royal Marshall would also do that. Um, and obviously they didn't. Uh, Marshall actually wasn't that far off in the end. But um, obviously that's me not correctly reading English. But I would rather be slightly wrong about how I read them in terms of the season. Like I didn't pick him as a top two player. Um, rather than picking them against my better judgment and then getting injured and, and using that trade. As we say with the... I mean, we've said this a lot internally within Slack. We haven't really said this on the podcast. But the upgrade cadence this year was so crazy. Using boosts like in so many of the opening rounds to keep your upgrade cadence or to accelerate your upgrade cadence. If you were someone who had Callum Mills or Took Miller um, and your upgrade cadence got ruined by trading out those injuries, it it ruined your year in a Mm. lot of ways. And it was very tough to fight back from. If that was Tim English one week, you are also one of those problem people. And he was owned by such a high percentage. It was great that he scored so well. Amazing for those who started him and had that faith. Um, If I thought he'd average 128, I would have also been one of those people. Um, But the fact that I picked him more around a 118, 120 average meant that I chose someone else. Um, And that backfired in this instance, but in other instances, it didn't. So... I still think it's the correct line of thinking um, and I still think, yeah, you, you really just have to weigh up the, the risk of what you're betting against as much as what they're betting against as well. So Can I have uh, a hot it's take? very interesting. Yes, please. It's very minor hot take. Still a hot take. I think <laughs> warm take. Tim English was the best player of Supercoach this year. Better than Bontempelli, even though Bontempelli scored 39 more points. Okay, I don't really have strong feelings. Could ask me I why. Really ask why. Come on. Okay, well, why? Bontempelli had eight scores above 130. And that's okay for a captain. Like, that's pretty good. But it's not a guaranteed captaincy score. Um, and English had 13 above 130. That's a huge difference. It just means that you could slap the C on English for just consistently good captaincy scores make your life easier Bont just has a much you know his ceiling is amazing and he has those spike scores but just makes you really think for next year you know if Bont's I don't know if I agree with that why not because I if you have to a, buy as somebody a captain, as a captain expert that I am yeah, self-proclaimed yeah. I would rather my captain score a low of 110 than have an 80 I know people that captain subtons for Tim English I don't know anyone who captain a subton for Bontepelli this year I guess that's true, but it's a lot of the time, I mean, how many times did 
Bontempelli go under 100 one time, right? Yep, round, round two. And English had three. One was a 99. Like, it's much a muchness, realistically. Yeah, but no one was captaining Bont in the first month. If you didn't... I mean, like, from, from when he was actually captained... He, I would say he had zero subtitles. Yeah, sure. And actually, he only had one score below 112 in that time as well. Not just subtitles, but 112 sub. Yeah. He had a 101 against GWS. I don't know. I, I, this I mean, is it's, just a, it's an interesting, it's talking, an interesting... Talking to someone who has historically awful captain score. So <laughs> I'll let the audience decide which one they were. I think, I think um, it's interesting. No, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting. What, what did I'm just looking if it they're up predictable, now. then it's fine. If they're predictably bad scores, it's fine. If he's like, there are so many times I said Bont is better than English this week. If yeah. people, if if I can predict it, then you can predict it. Uh, like if don't I don't give me that much credit. Against, <laughs> no, I mean, it, I see that he's coming up against poor in round 13. And I said, all right, this 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 Ruckman is particularly restrictive. Or I called it in round 21 when he came up against Richmond, I called it in round 24 when he came up against. Um, Geelong as well and said these are particularly restrictive Ruckman do not captain him this is a Bonson Pelly week yeah, and yeah. in that game against Richmond Bont scored about 150 and English scored 112 in the game against Geelong Bont scored 146 English scored 103 and and so if you can predict it like that if it's easy games to predict then English is better because the, the games you are picking him he goes bigger that is true but they're it's not always predictable. No, no, I just find it really interesting because I know we're going to talk about, you know, potentially fading English or picking English for next year um, given the limited amount of rock, rock spots. Um, and I guess it all adds, like, this conversation is all a factor of that decision as well because, you know, the alternative is, I mean, you, you obviously I think most people are probably picking Oliver, but... Um, if you wanted to splash the cash on on Bontempelli or English, I don't think anyone's picking all three. Hey, maybe, yeah. maybe <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, potentially. People do crazy things. Um, it's a, is it crazy? <laughs> yeah, probably. Is it? I don't know. No, I don't know. That's I don't a hot take. Well, maybe it's not really a hot <laughs> take. Yeah, but all right. Do we want to move on? Do we think we've answered that adequately? I don't um, know if I did. What was the question? <laughs> having a completed team super early with no trades left for carnage. I mean, he's just asking for things slash mistakes from this season. Oh, I don't think I not starting English was a mistake. I think starting Clary was not starting Clary was definitely a mistake. Um, I think I got to full premium in a perfectly adequate way. Um, I, would, I would have been happier if I had an extra premium on the bench to rotate around injuries, uh, absolutely. Um, the way in which I played, I traded harder for league and could have had trades left over anyway, so I think I did that fine. Obviously, if I didn't play for league and I did play for rank, I would have been in a position to play that fine. Um, but in terms of the starting team... Well, I, I miss guns and rookies. I think I'll, I'll be likely back to guns and rookies next year with the odd, odd, odd exception of a mid-pricer, maybe one or two sneak in. Um, I, don't th- I don't think the mid-price thing is working. I hate that I've been sucked into it two or three years in a row when I was a historically guns and rookies player for my first five successful years of Supercoach. 
Um, I don't feel like I've had a good year since then. Um, and even this year didn't feel that good. But essentially, I don't, I, I think mid price madness is where I keep failing in Supercoach. And that is the biggest mistake I make every year it, for the last yeah. three or four years. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure you started 12 premiums and I started 11 because I started more mid prices. Um, and that checks out. But a lot of people started 13 and that was even better again. Well, so my starting team was really good and I started really hot. I mean, this was the first year in, I guess, that I can remember that I traded like actively badly um, and, and early on as well. Um, so I don't know. It's hard, to, it's hard to see like, hey, what happens if I just didn't trade like an idiot um, early on in the season and I just was riding a hot team and letting it, letting it do its thing? Um, I argue a lot of those idiotic trades because you have players that are mid-price failures. It's true. That you do Could want be. to trade that lead to worse trades and that just exhausts your trades by the end of the year because I don't think they work. I think the percentage of working mid-price players, in, which is I'm going to lower even further because half the ones that are good aren't even predicted to be good and nobody even owns. The percentage of successful mid prices that we actually consider starting and or do start is like 10%. It's shocking. It's really low. Yeah, like it's you low. look at you look through the list of like the seven or eight players that we were looking at this year and how many were successful? Yeah, no. We we did do this on the previous part. It's very low, very bad. Very low. Like it just doesn't work and then it costs trades and if I, if I had an extra rookie, which the rookies were ended up being very good this year, if I had an extra rookie in that slot and an extra premium in the other slot, um, of which the premiums that I left out, which were next selected in my team, included Jordan Dawson's and Clayton Oliver's and mm. like the, the play, like all these premiums that I wanted in my team, yeah, I found a way to squeeze more mid-prices in and they just didn't work. I, I, just, I don't feel like I would have, I, I, I would have had a better season. I guess the opinion. mid prices gave early flexibility to be able to get people like Dacos and Goulden if you miss them, and that was a benefit. Just the yeah, additional flexibility that, 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 that was that is a benefit. But I don't think paying an extra sixty k for those guys later on is worth starting failed mid prices for. It feels like the end of the world when Dacos and Gordon start with like big tons to start it's the true. year, and you that's don't another have thing them. we need to reflect on. I mean, how yeah. you didn't you didn't start with them round one, right? So or, or round two, correct? I think you got them at the end of round two. Um, no, I traded. Uh, I'd have to look at my trades. Hold on. Give me. Give, but give. I remember there was panic at some stage of not owning them. Um, yeah. And like, so that obviously impacted your trade decisions because then you would have got them and, and it would have felt like the end of the world waiting to pay 60K more. But it's, that's something you would do differently next season and just let it let it play out and, and just get them when you get them. Or is that like, is there a lesson learned there or you just do the same thing again? There's two lessons learned. Firstly, in round two, I got Golden, and in round three, I got English Dacos and Zebel. Oh, nice. <laughs> so um, kind of great. Round four, I got Oliver. Like, it just shows how much I didn't like my starting team, and I still finished 1,500. Like, it, it's, it's so fine. It's, so, it's such an overreaction. Um, but upon those trade-outs were Clark, 315K. Yeah, that was not good. Who, um, Hunter Clark, that's someone I didn't even want to start. Lockie Ash, 
who took till round six to show that he was actually a capable AFL footballer. He's and been Tanner so Braun. good. How good was his finals game? I know, he's been incredible. <laughs> um, and Tanner Bruin, that's three mid-prices traded yeah. out in two weeks in the opening three rounds of the game. Now, the lesson learned is that I traded in Zeeble, who was incredible for 350K. That was a good pivot to someone who was good. Um, I traded in Golden at 472K, which now looks like just an overreaction because he plenty of times this season he was around that price again. And although he was a successful pick for the entire year, I still think I could have got him many, many weeks after that without overreacting and trading out someone who could have come come good in the end. Um, And then there's Dacos, 502K. I don't care what prices he reached at any other point of the season – um, that was the best price to get him at, and he was the best player to own all year, like until he got injured. Yeah. So it looked but that like trade feels good. You had Golden was only four ninety k at round eight. After that, he that's when he exploded with back to back one fifty sixes and got to six hundred k. What was his percentage of uh, uh, owner own ownership of percentage? You'd be you'd be surprised. Percent? He started in forty percent. And by yep. round eight, he was at 40.7%. Yeah, and then that's the week everyone got him, wasn't it? But yeah, well, it jumped up another 12%, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, that is when I should have got him and I would have missed out on two tons, three tons maybe? I can't remember Yeah, he was, was averaging 102 they'll, after round. They'll oh, wait, no, that was after round eight. As well. Bef- before that, yeah, it was averaging 94 yeah, I, I just feel like I overreacted. And I, the problem is I liked the pick in the preseason, but I looked at it and thought, 470K, I'm never going to get him this cheap again. And yeah. two months later, he was 20K more. Like, yeah. I could have just waited and then jumped on then and I would have I would have got more points. But I guess you think about English though, right? Like you see back-to-back 130s and you say, ah, oh, he's already pretty expensive. Maybe I'll just wait to get Tim English... You know, he's, he's 580K. It's not like he's going to go up that much. And then he ends up at 670 after round five. And then it takes until the buys for him to drop below 600. Yeah, but I, I think there's a there's a difference there. Like I, so for Golden, you look at him and you look at his his player, you look at him as, as a, his role, you look at the team that he's on, the coach that he has, yeah, and you can foreseeably say that he's not going to price you out at 700K for most of the season. Yeah, Whereas true. Tim English, you could a million percent argue that until the cows come home because he yeah. just ticks all the boxes. Um, so, like, you have to... Uh, this game, everyone says how much how it's luck-based and um, it is in a, such a big way. It's so injury-based and so luck-based and it's so BS and I get it 100%. I have the same frustrations and they cater to the, the casual players and they add trades every year and it d- detracts from the skill gap that has been in Supercoach for so long. But the skill gap exists in identifying what a player could possibly do against you um, and what players need to be jumped on and what players can be left alone a little bit. And look, I failed that. In, at some points and I passed it at other points I got English after round three because I saw him as that player I got Gordon in round two because I incorrectly identified him as someone like that as well but you don't you're not thinking straight at that time you, you see a guy put on 100 points 40% owned and think oh my god how many weeks can I survive that but you don't think how many weeks is he actually going to keep doing that but you think and who it let you get who you jumped off as well so it, it you had an outlet oh, yeah of course 
But Ash, I know people who held Ash for six or seven weeks after that. And, you know, he actually, he wouldn't have been that far from Golden's points output in that six or seven weeks. And then they're 80K closer. It just, it, I know it's hindsight, and but I don't think someone like Golden is someone who I should have been reacting to so quickly. I think that was a misread. Yeah. And I'm talking from someone who has had a successful season, 1.6K, of course, but... Like it's the other guys that you need to jump on, but that's that's misreads in the preseason as well. I started Darcy over English, and if I was so worried about English's injury concerns, why did I get him in round three? Yeah, they no, still exist, good, good and this question. time it cost me a trade. So I don't know. There, there's there's a lot of things as a coach that we can look back at, and you know, hindsight plays such a big factor in these games. And look, I think I traded pretty well, and I I I. I went back to my roots and I identified guys myself, like Liberatore, who I said, not a lot of people own. I want him for the end of the year and not a lot of people will have him for the end of the year and that's who I want. And I got him and he was unbelievable. But then there are guys who price-wise made sense, like Sam Walsh, who I didn't want and he looked awful. <laughs> and so, and I said, a, please don't get him. <laughs> I'm suffering <laughs> no, no. so badly. I don't want anyone to select him and then a bunch of people did. <laughs> Yeah, I got him literally just because of price. And, yeah. you know, it was so silly. But that is, there's just that element of you've got to back yourself. If you trust your, I mean, it, you don't have to even trust in yourself entirely. If you trust in someone you know, if you trust in a friend, there are plenty of patrons that I speak to um, that sort of help refine my opinion of a player as well. And um, I, I might say, look, this is my read on this guy. What do you guys think? And they might agree, they might be completely different. And you just have to weigh it all up. And at the end of the day, back in what you believe in. And there is still a huge skill gap in this game. It, it is that. It is identifying players that are going to hurt you and identifying identifying players who won't hurt you. That's very interesting discussion, JB, if I do say so myself. Huge, huge learning curve for me. Um, okay. How long have we been podcasting for? Not long An enough. An hour. We... We have a lot of we have a lot of questions left. How, do you want to? How do you want to tackle this? Do you want to go a bit quicker, or are you? Well, we can if it's a are you committing to a two hour podcast here, or yeah, we'll just see where the night takes us. I think if it's a question, we can speed through. If it's if it, I mean, look, if it's a good question and there's analysis, let's just do analysis. Cool. Okay. Uh, Rob sees the next one. It kind of touches on what we've touched a little bit, but asks a little bit differently. Which players are likely to be popular? So popularly owned, but fool's gold. Um, and when I see a question like that, I immediately think, who was, who did really well this season? Because those players are going to be highly owned off the rip, no matter what. My first, my the yeah. first guy I identify is Rory Laird, who I hated owning this year. <laughs> I think he'll he'll be popular because he'll be cheaper, um, and I don't think he's necessarily better. Yeah. Okay. I I think with Matt Crouch. Uh, being included in the side, that's probably a, a good call. Um, any, any Crows player, I, I'm scared about. Like I, I was all gung ho um, about you know with in the last couple of weeks of the year. I'm like, I'm going to start Dawson as a POD next year because I love Dawson. He's always on the screen. He's so many different ways to score. Such a penetrating kick. He has high time on ground. What's not to like? And then Crouch came into the side, and I'm like, oh no. Like Dawson's now gone 89, 111, 118, 111. And I'm like, instead of getting a guy who I thought had 130 
ceiling or 130 upside, I've now got a guy that's like 115 upside, just like completely killed yeah. off the pick. Um, so that that worries me. Um, I think someone like Petrarca might be a bit of fool's gold because he played a lot without Oliver. Um, so his score yeah, may yeah, be I agree with that. a little bit inflated. Um, I think he's just really good as well, though. That scares me. I, yeah, I think yeah. he could just be 120 with Oliver. It's it's very true. could definitely be. Lockie Neal is always highly owned. He's 43.1% owned at this point um, to end the year. Will he start off highly owned? Probably, in, I would say, 20 to 30% of teams. And I think that's definitely fool's gold. What about um, changing positions? I think Sheldrick will be fool's gold. I think people will see a high average and a cheap price because he didn't play many games to get a discount. Um, yep. And I think like banking on a breakout in the Swans where they, they just rotate so many players through the midfield, um, bit of fool's gold there. And I, I think similar could be said probably about Callum Mills. Um, he'll be a cheaper price, so probably draws in a lot of people. But Mills is just so good everywhere that I can't see him just playing. They're like, okay... You're in the centre now for the rest of the season. Like, in what world? It's unless unless yeah. a bunch of midfielders get injured, it's just not happening. No, I agree. Um, I'm trying to think of other players that'll be. I mean, Adam Chera, I think, has had such a good season this year, but I don't know if he's exactly that Uber guy yet in the midfield. I think a Carlton bit of Carlton bias. And, can I? And what can we I from this final throw one out for you? Lead us to. That you, you not cut me off this time. I'm this sorry. I got I got really excited because I wanted to say Zach, okay, Zach Butters. And oh, the, you think Zach Butters will be fool's gold? So, what odds would you give it if I told you? Like, how? What odds would you give Zach Butters playing through the entire season with no injury 80%. affected? Yeah, that's not great though. It's pretty good. It's pretty good, but it's not for for someone but who's. I don't know how many be, players I. I there's only like five or six players in the league I'd give 100% to, and one of them would have been Clary before this year. But this guy you're paying like nearly 600k for. Yeah, I think that's a bargain. I mean, I get it because upside for sure, but if he's not going to play every game, that's not ideal. But he played every game this year, and I don't know. Like, Look, I, I 100% understand, but at what point is it – like, yeah, he was just young and stupid and now he's sort of growing into <laughs> his role. And, and you know, a full season of midfield, like zero full time whatsoever. I know, I want to pick a him so bad. full season in the midfield, five-round average to end the year of 140. Okay, I'm like, picking butters. I don't know. Jesus. <laughs> okay, so we can we scratch that one from the fool's gold uh, record, Yeah, okay, please? okay. Um, I actually think Errol Gordon is more likely to be fool's gold than Zach Butters. Yeah, probably for all the same reasons I said about Mills and Sheldrick. I uh, just being midfield only as well. Um, like, do we expect him to go one fifteen? I it, it just crazy. depends on his time on ground, right? Like, if he's playing ninety eight percent, then sure, he can go one. I'm not saying it would shock me. I just think it'd be a little bit crazy. I do yeah, think, I it's think it's there risky. are going to be periods where he's probably cheap, cheap. Yeah, I, I think you got to. I mean, he's he's now the number one touch tag target as well for that team yeah like overtaking chad Absolutely. warner um i think you can wait and see on that preseason. I, i'd need to see him be playing 100 percent time on ground to you know it, it's that time on ground percentage i really look out for those breakout candidates people like andrew brayshaw um had a really uh an, an increased time on ground to end the year um i think it was just like just from right before the buy he had an uptick um in time on ground and his average really lifted um you know, matching that time on ground. So I think that's like a pretty good indicator of um, value. 
So I, I usually I got judge two more. On that. So Brayshaw two. wasn't one of the. Um, no. As in, he's, I, I don't think he's full scholar. I think he's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got two more before we move on to the next thing, I think. Isaac Heaney with limited forward options, I think he's going to be talked about a lot again next year, especially sure. considering he had a very good finals match um, and looked good. I think he'll be spoken about, and I think he's always fool's gold. Uh, and Jack Steele, I, I just don't think he has the scoring prowess under Ross Lyon that he, he once had. Again, had a very good finals game, and I think will attract a lot of people with that. It will be very cheap, but I don't think I want to start Jack Steele next year. I, I think that's a bit of fool's gold as well. And he's injury prone at yeah. this point. Nah, I, I'm, I'm actually, I think that's a hot take, but I'm with you. Um, I think we, this is something that we can talk a lot more about. Um, obviously, when the game actually comes out and we see the starting percentages, we'll, we can indulge a lot more in this kind of chat though. Um, all right, Clowny McClownface says, how many players did you have in your round one team and carry all the way to round 24? I can't imagine there'd God. be too many by you, JB. I think you're trading out players left, right, and center. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. From your starting um, team. You just talked about well, I started, how much you did I started Sheasel. <laughs> I started Sheasel. I started Chesser. I started Const. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. They right. both survived. Yeah, going. I started Bond. I started Laird. <laughs> How um, many premiums survived? Did I start either of Sinclair or Stewart? No. No, I started Doherty and crap back there. Okay. Um, Bond did. Laird did. I traded in Merritt. I traded in Brayshaw. I traded in Libert and Sarong. Neil, I traded out then back in. Does that count? Uh, sure. Okay, Neil. Um, <laughs> Walsh, no. I mean, Doherty, I traded out and then back in. I don't, I don't know how that counts at all because that was like with a round left. Uh, Marshall survived the whole year. Uh, Rosie survived the whole year. Cogs, Taranto. That's actually quite seven. a lot. Uh, so seven premiums. And then Gordon, I got in round two. You know, Dungley, I traded two butters when he had that three-week injury. So that's not like someone who I needed to trade out, I suppose. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I think I think it's a pretty good turnaround, and the guys that I was pretty comfortable with having, like Dawson, I was so comfortable starting, but just didn't end up starting. Like they found their way into my team pretty quickly. So I think like the reads in the preseason were all really good still, but it just 
Yeah, they were just injuries. There were a lot of injuries. A lot of guys that were had to be had just had to be traded out. Fair enough. Let's go on to the next one. Um, do you think we'll see a big changing of the guard of sorts with your Sarongs, LDUs, and Andersons taking the place of our seasoned campaigners? We have discussed this a little bit. I think LDU definitely. Um, Anderson and Sarong. They're not in the same tier as like Butters. No, they're not. They're not. Um, look, I think LDU, Butters, <laughs> dare I say Flanders? I, th- I genuinely think Flanders is going to be really, really good. That's, that's, I know he's not that's quite not in, that in that tier, same but tier, but you could say it's even just, Golden, potentially Brayshaw. Um, yep, 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 yep. Those sorts. Uh, I don't know if Zara is young enough anymore, but... Um, Jordan Dawson even potentially. Like, yeah, there are a lot of guys that will take over 100%. Nick Dacos, obviously. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot, a lot of guys that will just take over. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the old guys are, are moving on. Laird, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, we still have Bont, Petrarca and Clary that are, like, pretty pretty comfortable with. But besides that, most of the guys have already been been turned over to this point anyway. Yeah, let's move on to the like, next one. Thoughts on mid-prices versus guns and rookies next year? Obviously, it's value-based. Um, yeah, see, like this is something that we'll obviously discuss. This is Mr. Ping asking. Last one was Jamie. Um, this is something that we'll ask. We'll talk a lot about in the preseason in regards to um, obviously which players fit in where. Like, I thought Jacob Hopper this season was that even this season? Yeah, it was. Yeah. I thought Jacob Hopper this season was like a must-start, absolutely lock it in, like didn't ever leave my team in the preseason, that type of player. If there's one of those, which I can't think of the equivalent of, it would be like someone who changes Flanders. Or like that. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, Flanders won't be that cheap. He'll be like four, 450 or something. He'll be almost yeah. premium. Yeah, um, But anyway, if there's someone of that-esque in the mid, mid-price where I'm just like, you're locked, like guaranteed they're in, then I'll obviously start them. I'm not going to avoid mid-prices that are yeah, obvious purposely. to me. Yeah. But I'm not going to find, I'm not going to be seeking like the Lockie Ash value where he had 40 touches in a preseason game and I just believe in him as a player because they could just so easily start average or like they, they will have a hot period during the season, but there's nothing to say it's going to be the first even 10 weeks. Like it could be the end of the season, which it has been for Lockie Ash. So like, I'm just not going to get sucked in next year. So I'm committing to guns and rookies, but there are there is always a chance that there's a player in such a good position that I genuinely believe in, just personally believe in them as a player and, and in their new position, that I will start because they're just really obvious and good. Yep. Now I'm with you on that one. Cool. Um, rookie planning with a sub-rule and higher rookie higher priced rookies getting the game time, is it a given we just pay up for our rookies from now on? How should we adjust our mindset moving forward? Like, I think the answer is yes. Yes, I agree with you. It's like, just, I, I think if <laughs> if I traded, if, if I started three less mid-prices and instead started every expensive rookie in, the, in their place, I think I would have had a better year. Yeah, absolutely. Like, quite simply, points-wise and, and cash-gen-wise, I think... Starting the, the good rookies that are looking secure in their best 22s early is just going to be really, really, really essential. And avoiding the chesses who we knew were going to be fragile and those types of players is going to be even more essential. Yeah, I think there was some... Like we couldn't fill out our bench with playing rookies and that's why we got caught in the, the chesses and some of them. I think I think we, we overlooked Michelini. That was a big one down yep. back. 
But outside of that, yep. um, I mean Chandler, of course, up forward. But yep. I think and it was ben just Bryan the, as well. No, well he he didn't play round or one. Did he, did he start? No, not round one. Yeah, so not. so that that doesn't count. But the I think just those two were big misses. But that that only lets you eliminate two mid prices. I guess maybe that's all you needed to do. To be fair, um, yeah. But they just weren't that was there, many options. Was there expensive players that we didn't start? I don't. Think so. I'm trying to think of the top ten in the draft because, like, obviously we started Ashcroft. It's, it's, um, I don't think there was others because Wardlaw was injured and um, Silas and, and all of the um, like Cadman and all that. We were never going to pick, so there weren't there genuinely weren't that many options. Looking at the draft, <laughs> I'm telling you, we were, so we were Cadman obviously wasn't an option. Ashcroft, we started. Sheezel, we started. Wardlaw was injured. Tardis wasn't in the team. Bailey Humphrey wasn't in the team from round one, was he? I mean, he may have, but that would have been a poor start. Yeah. Cam McKenzie, we started, or a lot of people started. Could have started Mac, uh, uh, Ben King. He made he made money, good money. Yeah. I mean, yeah, players around that 200K mark. Um, Jerry Clark wasn't in. Jinby, we did start. Philip, who a lot of people started, I started. Hollands is one that we passed up on. He, yeah, he ended true. up being a good pick, 166k. Uh, and then looking down here, not a lot of these players got game time. And then you get to Michael Annie, who we've said already. So, yeah, I, I think it's pretty much everyone picked in the top like 15 of the draft if they're starting. Even if they're an elevated price, you just get them in. And I think it's a, it's a mentality for of like starting a 166k Hollands on your bench is like the mentality that we needed to get over. Is like. Yeah, we're not going to have 123k guys or 102k guys on our bench. There's no GWS, Gold Coast, or suspended Essendon players allowing these guys to get game time. We're just not going to have them. So we, we, we just have to spend up and have those players on our bench at a higher price. But it is what it is. Yeah, Charlie Dean, here we go. Charlie Dean, baby. Uh, that was Kel. Um, Steve G wants to talk about potential positional changes, which I think... Uh, that that's no. I, mean, I think most of them are obvious. So uh, just yeah, I think we leave that for the game opening. Sorry, Steve. Um, are there certain positions that start the year well? The last two years, it's felt like the three premium defenders are going and going light in the midfield has been the play. Anything to this? I don't think so. I think it's a complete myth. Whatever data you can back up, I think it can absolutely just be chalked up to variance. And I'll always back my premiums in their own individual right as picks over oh but defenders scored 18% more for the first six rounds like I just don't fully buy into that stuff I don't know about you I mean maybe there was something with like teams playing more of the pot like mimicking the pies style with like fast attack but I don't yeah, really it's see year that. by year thing though. Like, yeah, I don't think it's something if it we was can really even predict. to exist. Because we also, yeah. you can make the prediction and be like, okay, they're playing fast attack, so like midfielders will do worse. But then you could just get it wrong, and then you ruin your entire <laughs> your entire season based on like a, a two game or one game preseason sample size. And you're yeah. like, let's see how that works, and then you base your whole team based on that. I don't think there's. Well, this year I'd say yeah. forwards started the best, but that's because they've all been midfielders. So yeah. Uh, is it midfielders that start the best or is it forwards? It's just, yeah, it's such a year-by-year proposition, I think. That was Dirty Dev, um, which is, is a great question. But, yeah. Um, yeah, just not something that I suppose we'll... It's, it's, it's just a year-by-year thing. You can't possibly put 
stats to it and, and give a reason why. If forwards were only forwards and defenders were only defenders and Nick Dacos wasn't a defender, for example, then you could probably put together a decent stat for it, but it's just not the case in Supercoach. Um, okay, we, go, we only have a few more questions left. We've actually gotten through these pretty quickly. All right, Chowd says, a popular team structure this year was three to four mid-prices to allow to pivot to the best option. Was this a total misstep? Should we return to guns and rookies and move a failed premium to the mid-prices if they do go crazy, obviously within reason? Um, and then said, how many hands up tried to jam Hunter Clark, Tanner Bruin, and the Lockie Ash types into their team? Me to all three of those options. Thanks for the reminder. Um, and yes, all three were incorrect. All three were out of my team in two weeks and I completely agree with this comment. I think we absolutely misstepped this year. Um, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. We still had good years and it still left us flexibility. I might not get Jack Siebel in an, in an alternate year where I start premiums instead of mid prices. I think that having that flexibility has been great um, and has saved us from having a bad season. Um, whereas like, in other years when none of them pop, like maybe it's like the worst thing ever. Like there's not always a Jack Zeeble who's averaging premium numbers for so long Yeah. Um, in that mid-price section. But I just think we accept that not a lot of these guys come off. And if they do, if they do like being a Jack Zeeble in a totally different role change, hopefully, firstly, we identify that in the preseason. Um, or secondly, you just be conscious and you just sort of have a plan where it's like, I can sacrifice my worst premium if it looks like some of these guys are essential or um, I mean, there are so many injuries early days as well, where like, you know, there's always opportunities to jump on bandwagons, but yeah, I don't know. At the worst case scenario, what happens? You start the perfect lot of premiums and rookies and you lose 80 K at a mid pricer who turns into a premium to whoever started him. Like it's not that dire. It's never that dire. So I think a couple things that I, like to think about is I, I know the midfielders sorry mid prices increased flexibility in my team um, when they'll spread across different positions because you know you could go up or, or down in any position um, but when I think about what I did with my dream team which had a lot of success this year was I didn't I went uh, not as many mid prices but then I just traded out my lowest performing premium after round one which was led um, and that let me get the best mid prices who I had missed, but I avoided all the terrible mid prices. And then the next week, I traded out my lowest performing premium again in Neil. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but obviously I split him up to get like Golden and Dacos and stuff um, and Jay Z. But it just meant that I then went into round three and I had all my premiums performing because I basically had an extra one than my super coach originally, or maybe an extra two. Um, because I didn't pick that many mid-prices. But then I also had all the good mid-prices because I traded them in before a price rise, um, which meant I went into round three with like a fully performing team, which I didn't do with my super coach um, because then I had like some mid-prices that weren't going super well. Um, you know, I think there's flexibility isn't one-sided. Like you don't need to pick mid-prices to have increased flexibility. You can pick premiums to also have flexibility. It just, it's like a, a mental... It's like a mental thing to, to trade out a premium early because you think, well, I've I've thought about them the entire preseason and I have all this rationale as to why I think they're a good pick and I should hold them. Um, but I guess if you're if you're just trying to pick 
purely based on flexibility and trying to like get the most out of your side. I think if you're coming with a mindset of like, I will trade out one of my premiums, but I'm not going to select any mid prices to start the year or whatever it might be, or, or fewer mid prices to start the year. I think I think you sh- we should have enough flexibility to be able to adapt to that situation. And if there's um, a situation that, that calls for us to trade out one of our premiums, I don't think we should say, boo, don't trade out Neil after one round. How dare you? Um, because you got to look at what you're trading in, and if you're able to yep. to get all, I agree with that completely. All three mid prices that you missed or something, I think that's the bigger win than than sacrificing one of your premiums. Yeah, I mean, Neil got me Dacos and Zebu in round three this year, so no, I, I completely agree as well. And chances are you're going to have a foul premium, or you're going to have an early injury. Like the odds of get, having neither of those things happen early. Uh, that crazy and the result of that is that good that you don't even like you look at your team and you're just like okay I don't have anyone to trade I I just won't trade the mid prices in I miss them someone else is going to get 100k on on that player but I already have the premium that they're saving up to get anyway so like at the end of the day the, the downside of not getting these guys if you do have a scenario where you can't possibly get them isn't that bad that you need to like start contingency plans for guys who might start well and their odds are there just might not be anyone worth getting. Like there might be guys that start hot in the mid-price category, but you don't think they're worth getting. They're starting hot in roles that you don't believe in or they're starting hot and a player's returning from injury that's going to stop their role. Like there's so many things to consider. Um, I mean, Setterfield, I keep coming yeah, just, back to it. Like yeah, how many right. people traded Setterfield in? Too many. So he went from 4% ownership after round two. To 34%. So 30% traded wow, in this guy. That's crazy. 30% of the entire Jesus. competition, which at that stage of the year, that's like after the amount of people that just give up after round two, you know, it's like 50% of the competition or whatever. They got him in. He made 90K from that point. So they used a trade. He got, he averaged like, before his injury, he averaged like 75 or something and made. 90k and then dropped money after that. That's a Which terrible a lot of trade. Might have still held for, but yeah, it's absolutely a horrible trade. But at the time, people were thinking, but something we get need this to going, remember. get this going. But yeah, absolutely. No, and, I agree. And he played. And he's someone I didn't get. <laughs> he's someone I didn't get because I didn't. Not that I didn't fully believe in him, but I believe I effectively chose Jack Zebel over him as someone who had a more sustainable, you know, premium potential role. Um, but a lot of people are like, no, you have to get them both. You have to get them both this week. Like if you don't have them both, you're missing out or you, you know, everyone's going to get such a leg up on you. And it's just crazy the mentality at the time versus what we look back on now. Like sometimes sure things aren't sure things and things do happen. Players start hot and then go cold or you know, they, they get the role and then they don't have the role. And a midfield spot is so much harder to maintain than like if a forward starts the year in a different role, averaging 100, that's almost impossible to ignore, right? They look good. They're in a better role. You know, they're ticking all the boxes. That's hard to ignore. But like someone who you know has been a bit of a journeyman going through different clubs, has a bit of a midfield role at the moment, averaging well for the first two weeks, that is that is someone you can look at and go, I actually don't think this is sustainable. And if you're trading them in just for the money, that's fine. You just needed to, you know, hold up for another couple of weeks. And Setterfield, I think, should have been more successful than he was. Um, 
but he wasn't and that can happen. So it's just never as urgent as what people think it, it is at the time. And let's set it, trust me, Setterfield is not the reason you started ranked 50K. Like that's, he's not that reason and he's not the guy who's going to drag you up to 1K. So it's it's just I think we just over exaggerate we 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 just make it Sam feel a lot worse in our minds than what it actually is and so we just need to think with more clarity at the time I think like look at these picks and look at what they're actually doing to you or, or how they're negatively affecting you and think is it worth changing something in my team to get this person in or you know redoing my trades to not get this guy and get this guy instead it's just it's you have to just be of clearer mind. I think we get so reactive to things at times. I think another one, for example, um, that some people took a punt on was like um, Cozzy Pickett as well, just for that cash gen because when he came back after yep. his suspension, so he had a 144 and then an 89 against I blame, West Coast. I blame someone for this. I blame someone for this. <laughs> I think uh, I bl- we... Not one person, not a slacker, not someone who mentioned Cosy Pickett. No, I blame a, a player. I blame Tex Walker for this. The Tex Walker syndrome that has now started after he went on like an eight-game <laughs> rampage and made 250K the year before, I think it affected our decision-making this year. Everyone wanted the Tex Walker of this year that they missed out on yep. last year. I think that is genuinely a thing because he... Anyone who got Tex Walker the year before went crazy in that period. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. I mean, that's a great call. But Cozzy ended up getting a 61, then a 16. You know, so he ended didn't, up... Didn't he score like a negative score or something? No, was a, that was a 16. No, was that the 16? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it so, was like negative to halftime. So people traded him in and two weeks later, he'd gone... Uh, went up 1.7K. <laughs> Sorry, 0.7K. Yeah, nice. So... Um, it's just a lot of the time the mid prices realistically I mean I know what we trade in when we trade in Cosy you're, you're getting a small forward in a dominant side you see a really good upcoming, upcoming draw but then you've got to think about it and it's something that I've got to do better as well it's like yeah the fixtures say they have a really good run that's going to kick lots of goals but also he's a small forward <laughs> like realistically how high is he scoring you know and even getting some midfield time Again, you see that one week and it's not going to be, it's not guaranteed to be the norm going forward. Like everyone's like, oh, this midfield time, this midfield time. Like, you know, he could do this, he could do that. And then he goes up forward, he kicks goals. It's like you've just seen his best game, potentially that he's going to have all year. Yeah. That doesn't, that's not now the norm. Like these one game sample sizes that trap people in, including myself, uh, it's happened to me millions of times before. We just need to have more discussion. Is this a trap? I don't think the word trap was used a single time in Slack all year. It was like, yeah, go for this guy if you're so inclined or if you don't really like him, you know, that's fine as well. Don't go for him, but he's a good option, but you know, it's just up to you. And it's like, no, this guy was actually a trap. Like he was he looked a bad pick and he was a bad pick. Um, and people jumped on him for the one game sample size and fair enough because I endorsed him to multiple people as well. Um, but we just have to, we just have to think that thing that a little bit decision more, yeah. through more clear, carefully, yeah. Because that could how much harm did that do to people's seasons? You had someone that was making you no money, scoring awful points that you then had to use another trade on. Imagine having those two trades in you know round twenty two, twenty three when Nick Dacos isn't playing. Yeah, that's it. Could a good make reminder. you one hundred, two hundred points. 
Um, true. So that was Chad's that asked that question. Thanks very much. Um, we've got a few left. Muscles is saying, can we have a general discussion around starting teams and paying do- top dollar for safe premiums, cough, lead, cough, versus uh, trying to start value across the board and picking the top guys up once they drop? Matt W says, piggybacking on muscles, maybe an early look at the top end price guys for next year and whether you expect to start them or not. Um, all right, I think this is a great discussion. I actually think this is something that we do very, very well. Um, I struggle to take accountability for the failed lead selection because I just don't completely understand how the hell he put out a 50 round one against GWS and how he was supposed to predict that a hot game in wherever the hell that was played. GWS, um, yeah. Was, no, it wasn't at GWS. It was like somewhere weird, wasn't it? Oh, was it? Wasn't like, I thought um, it was just like a city. Yeah. I can't remember. No, Too it, long was, ago. it was some sweaty, disgusting. No, it was like up in Cairns or something. I can't remember. Um, disgusting is the way I describe it with the weather, not Cairns. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> that sounded so No, I'm looking. It was a giant stadium. It was in, uh, in my disgusting neighborhood. Yeah. Thanks, uh, man. Okay, well, then, Appreciate then it. Then I stand by it. In that case, but uh, yeah, it was boiling hot that day, and he put out a fifty and played horrible time on ground. And then next week it was a one forty-seven, and he he put out another sub ton or two more sub tons in the first half of the season. And the there were nineties, high nineties. Everything else was looking okay, a couple of low tons. But then, like he has had periods where he still went one seventeen, one fifty-one, one twenty-nine. And he had a period where he went 145, 115, 112, 156, 125. Like he still looked the player, but he just had these randomly uncharacteristically bad games. So like, I think we still chose fine on lead. He just wasn't the player that we thought he would be. Talent wise, I guess, is probably more so what we point to there. But I think we identified the cheap guys like Bont was was too cheap for what he was going to be this year. And we, we sort of spoke about it, identified that. Um, and we looked really heavily into players who didn't drop below 600K, didn't we? Yeah. And that was a real like sticking yep. point for us in the preseason. It's like, who is going to be affordable during the year? And that's why 90% of Dr. Begrudge didn't start Jack McRae when he wasn't an unpopular pick. What was his starting percentage? He was in like 15% of teams to start round one. And... Um, we said no because he always drops in and around 600K or below 600K. Um, and that was a discussion uh, uh, that we had preseason and it's why we chose a lot of premiums over him. Um, I just think using lead as an example, like I just don't know what happened with him this year. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It's funny. I We kind of dismissed near most of the... I think in the I'm trying to remember back to the very first opening podcast. I think we dismissed a lot of the sub 600k options, but then circled back around to like LDU and Green as like our yep, our endpoint. Yep, yep. And then in the preseason, there was a big push on like Titch and other players in that price bracket, and we were also poo pooing them. Um, and we ended up, I know I ended up with, with Josh Kelly. <laughs> um, did we did we both agree on Titch being a bad pick? I think so. I think most people did. Hmm. You don't? No, I just remember so there was some pushback from someone at some stage about Titch. He was a bad pick. I don't know if you're trying to claim this. Um, but 
<laughs> I really don't know if you're just trying to claim, claim a bad. I don't pick. know if I'm confusing this year with last year, but I, I I remember someone being a little less negative on Titch. I mean, I I, I was like massively anti Titch, so I don't know which what year you're talking about. No, maybe maybe I'm confused, but <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time this year, but um, no, uh, so I think the the thing that we we didn't do so well is look at the like you know, not looking at the top end premiums um, and kind of writing them off a little bit. So we, we probably could have identified Dacos and pushed harder on Dacos. And I know I ended up with Goulden to start with, but I think we could have done probably a better job at like pushing um, some of those secondary premiums to then break out sort of players. Um, I know we went hard at the top end ones. I think like... Neil was relatively popular. I know I didn't start him because I started Josh Kelly, but um, do you remember why we went hard at the top end ones? I think there's a reason. Yeah, I, th- I think it was more to do with the same, the same sort of consistency, like wanting to pick sure things, and it kind of why backfired. Why did we want to bit. pick sure things? There, there's a grander reason that I'm hitting towards here. I can't remember. We wanted sure things because we had so many mid prices in our teams. Right. So we said if we're going to pick these mid prices that aren't guaranteed to be successful. We at least want the premiums to be successful. So we we picked higher priced guys to be more secure so we didn't have to worry about trading our premiums. And I, I, I think that was a product of the mid-price madness that we went to, which I think next year, for example, if we go more guns and rookies, which I certainly will be, especially after I start my season with crazy mid-price madness and then get told to listen back to this podcast, which I trust the Slack members to do, um, I will be starting guns and rookies. I think that introduces a lot more of this sort of value range, 550 to 600K or 620K players um, that we expect to still be at their price or higher, um, which we said with LDU and Tom Green. uh, And there was one other around that price that we didn't mind. It wasn't there. Yeah, but I can't remember who it was. (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember either. God, what happened to them? Um, And... Yeah, I think it will sort of deter me from starting the the 700k guys, which there will only be one of, um, which is Bonson Pelly. But not to say that I won't start Bond, but it will just deter me from starting guys that I think will be in and around the 620k mark in time. And I think this year we said with Laird, because I remember the year prior, I couldn't get him in at any stage because yeah. he was only ever cheap at awkward moments or too late in the season. And that was a big sticking point for me. I said, I want to get these consistent guys in because you don't know when they're going to be like cheap. They might get cheap eventually, but you don't know when. I still believe that, but I think I, I just needed to be better picking which consistent guys I am going to spend up on. Um, like Clayton Oliver, like potentially Petrarca, like potentially Bontempelli. Um, guys that I can I feel I can trust for the entire season. Led had that really good year and I still don't understand completely what happened to him this year. Um, but he, he wasn't the guy from 2022 this year. He, he was a much worse version of himself. And I know he still averaged 117. It seems really harsh, but we picked a 122 plus average guy. It's funny because there's that real strong bias of like the player that you didn't have that killed yeah, you that time. year. And then you pick them the next year, which, which is worrying for me because I didn't pick many guys that killed Killed it this year. <laughs> so my starting team next year, eight premium midfielders. Um, no, but the the thing that's interesting is one, Laird was the fifth highest scoring player, a fifth highest averaging player in the game. 
um, seventh overall. So he, he he also didn't have like a bad year, but everyone when you when it's a value based game and you have a total salary like total money to spend, you're trying to not pick players that then obviously average significantly below what you paid for them. And I'm not sure we're going to have that same problem next year because there's not that many really top-end guys that there have been in the past. I think there was like a handful above 120 last year. There's only three that average more than 120 this year, Oliver, English, and Bontempelli. Like everyone's going to be considerably, I guess, more scrunched up in their prices. So there should be many midfield options that are available um, comparatively to the previous years where there's been like large gaps between, you know, we said like the 600K and the non-600K gang. It's like there's going to be, a, you know, 15 players all within, you know, 20 to 30K of each other, um, something like that. So there's ju- there's just going to be many affordable options. It wasn't really a massively high-scoring year, I don't think. No, yeah, I agree. I think it was much more across the board. And the scary thing is, is like all of our best six forwards will now be midfielders as well. So it's it's kind of it's going to be a very strange season. I think Chad Warner was the other guy we were considering around that price. By the way, yeah, uh, he's I, I literally he started remember. at 530k. It was him, Tom Green started was at it around the same price. Anderson was 550k, but I don't think I don't know if I spoke about him too much in the preseason. He had 1.7% starting ownership. Honestly, I can't uh, Chad, recall. I don't Chad remember Warner it being had 6.5%. Was it Warner? I don't know. I, all I know is I had Green. I had um, LDU and Green in my starting opening side. Can I just say, early. Tom Liberatore was 575k to start the year. That is the guy. And, and by the way. If you look at any one of my draft teams or my talk to the person who has Liberatore in my keeper league, I said Liber would be one of the top 10 midfielders this year. And it's so weird that I had that mentality yet never considered him at 575K. I just don't think my research was at its peak this year. I don't think I, I backed in... I just obviously didn't back in my, my true Well, we didn't look at the sub 600 gay guys very much. And if we did, we went all the way down to 550K because yeah. it was LDU and lower, Tom Green. Um, so, yeah, it just seems like we just blocked out that entire price range almost. Like, I mean, like, I don't I think, think it was like we but. went from like LDU to, to Jack Steele. Sarong was 500K. He was 498K. Yeah. I can't even believe that. And I remember people asking in round two, should we get Sarong? And I'm like, no. <laughs> No, he scored it. 70 in round one, so they probably didn't ask him round two. But No, uh, yeah, maybe it was after round three, the 146. Yeah, it would have been that. After yeah, North yeah, yeah. and West Coast, the two easiest teams to score against. And he looked great. <laughs> and we were like, come on. Yeah. These easy teams, everyone else everyone else getting to go instead. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't right. I know, it's an interesting. Oh, I don't think man. we've answered the question, but it's interesting um, – looking back on the season and, and trying to think of the mindset because I think... Like, well, I think the answer is we It's not did far that. from what I plan to do again, just minor modifications yeah. to what I did last season. Like, I do like picking the consistent players. Like, I'm not sure how the ruck value will go, but, like, I would like to pick Tim English because he doesn't have, as we were just talking about earlier, he doesn't have many poor games, so he doesn't really drop that much in price, same as Bontempelli. Like, I like picking the people that, that won't drop too much in price so I don't want to stray too much from that thinking but I do need to look in other price ranges 
more so than I did at the beginning of this year. So I, I need to look in the Hayden Young area um, and the Himmelberg area and, and, you know, different price ranges rather than just top-end talent. All the areas. All of yeah, them. Yeah, I, I genuinely – I think I answered the question. I think that is something that we did look for this year. Um, I just think we thought if we're starting someone that's not top price, they have to be great value. But I think there are a lot of players that were, that are good value and score more than the great value guys or are potentially safer than those guys, like Liberatore, who wasn't considered, um, who we might look back at and say, or we might look at next season and say, I think this guy's just perfectly between those two options. And if we're starting less mid prices and one more slash two more premiums, you best believe we will be shopping in that range. Um, and I just think it was a bit of an oversight. I'm not even saying by you. I'm by me personally. It was an oversight to not hit those same marks this year. Um, now looking at you know retrospectively, um, just just a lack of I think research by by me, which is unlike me. But I don't know. Maybe I had a lot going on this preseason. Why does anyone ask how I'm going? You know, saving for another pod. This one's not long enough. I mean, it's too long already. True. Um, okay, there are. There is one question left. Great. Uh, it's a tricky topic, but relates to player durability and not burning trades. How do we cover the buys adequately? Adequately and exit with enough trades to avoid the carnage of twenty twenty three. I actually think this isn't. I don't think this is a buy question. I don't think it's like a how do we cover the buys adequately. Um, I think this goes back to a couple of questions that we've already answered. Firstly. Job security in rookies is so paramount and um, sometimes you just don't have it, which this year at points we didn't. But I even think this year people forego um, job security for price a lot. I just don't think we can afford to do that. Yeah, um, that's I a think lesson that learned results for me. <laughs> in you. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, I think it results in wanting to sideways premiums to make up these numbers when you could have just paid up an extra 50K for a, the right rookie and had that cover throughout the, the buys anyway. I think, so job security firstly, paramount in rookies, tick, learnt that lesson, let's get that right next year. The second thing is I think the shuffling between mid-prices and premiums is just so unhelpful if you pick the wrong guys. Um, and I think next year... Without picking a lot of mid prices, I think we will just have so much more of an opportunity to have our eyes focused on the buy rounds from round one. This year, I don't think it was like, I, I don't even know if I'm explaining myself well. I think it was really hard this year to plan for it because we had so many fluid positions in our teams and there were so many trades and it's like, oh, I'll just switch this guy, switch this guy. And I think we want to start with close to our final team in round one without all these mid prices that we're going to be swapping around and without all these, you know, premiums that we don't exactly believe in or that we're paying top dollar for just to sort of, you know, get this guy in and get that guy in and sacrifice a buy round pick here for this guy. I just think we're going to have a lot better planning next year. Does that make sense? Am I, am I waffling at this point? No, I think it makes sense. You're good. Good. <laughs> good no i just yeah i just think it's something that i mean the buy rounds i'm i'm absolutely guilty for not planning the buy rounds at all until they're like fast approaching 
Um, but I think we identify at the start of the year really well what round is going to be really difficult to navigate. And I think we do that every year consistently really well. Um, I don't think we then consider what does that mean for durable rookies that we have to nail in those rounds and what they mean to us leading into it. Um, and I don't think we consider how our starting team actually shapes around that with safe guys that are going to be in the team at that point. Like if I, if I counted Lockie Ash in my buy round structure in round two, then I'm an idiot. And it's, I'm just not going to have that same thing next year with the uh, guns and rookies approach. Great. I think that's a good, good question. That was from Rivo, who asks good questions all the time, consistently. And that is why we love him. Um, okay. I've got a quick slap me if I don't start. And I've messaged Chizo. And he said his face is too sore from effing this up every season. So he's not going to partake this year, which is fair enough. We don't slap him on the face. Um, what? Isn't that why his Didn't face you? is too sore? No. I mean, all right. At the catch up. Yes. The. On the face. Slacked up this year. I, ah. Ah, you, you aim for the wrong cheek. I get it. <laughs> um, this year, or well, last year, I, I, might, I remember mine last year was very clear. I said, slap me in the face if I don't start both port forwards. And lo and behold, JB was right again with his slap me if I don't start. However, I didn't start them. I did not start Butters. But I should have because he was an unbelievably successful pick. So... Hindsight JB is always correct, is what I've learned. Think and I should actually slap me if I don't start and actually start the player this time. Yeah, that would be a good start. I think um, every year for the last six years, mine should just be Clayton Oliver. Oliver. Definitely yeah. should just be Oliver. And um, but that's too much of a cop out, so we can't do that. No, yeah, I won't do that. I mean, last year it was too much of a cop out, and I still did it because I'm like, well, I'm definitely starting him, and then I didn't. So. I, I don't yeah. want to go through this again, JB. I'm just locking in Oliver now so I don't have to go through this pain. I'm not even going to look at it again. Once I once I put him in my side, he can be playing full back and I'm still picking him in the preseason. I wish you could like lock in a pick that you know you want to start but you're going yeah. to talk yourself out of eventually. I I'm, wish the, the Supercoach site would enable you to just padlock it in. I'm going to start Clayton Oliver for the first time and then I'm going to win Supercoach and then I'm going to think, well, that was pretty easy. I probably should have done that earlier. Great. Now, who's the guy that's your actual slap me in the face if I don't start? I'm going to do a multiple because I didn't plan for this. And you can veto okay. them no, as they, they're, they're pretty – none of them are hot takes Great. because we're not, the same. we're not doing – I'm trying to pick my guns and rookies so I don't have too many hot takes, right? Correct. So, Correct. so I'm going to say slap me if I don't start on Nick Dacos. Veto. Okay. Uh, I, that was just warming up the veto button for you. Yeah, um, cool. It's working. Oh, this, is, this is where it gets difficult. After after Oliver um, and after Dacos. After Oliver and Dacos, the two biggest locks in the game. All right, all right. <laughs> this is where right. it gets tricky. Yeah, this is the hard part. Um, slap me if I don't veto. start. I'll do a unique one for you. Okay. Oh, do I have to? Yeah, okay. Um, Tom Stewart. My semi. Is that unique, is it? I don't think anyone's starting Tom Stewart, are they? Why? Well, I feel like most people would start Sicily. Why, why can't we start both? We're guns and rookies now. We've got cash. We've got cash to burn. <laughs> I mean, because then there's also the Hayden Young, potentially people staying with it um, as well. 
Then you've also got Himmelberg. This is potentially five defenders unless you play Himmelberg forward, which I imagine most people would. I think if you do a slap me if I don't start Hayden Young or Witherden, you're more of a chance of them not being started. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm not. I'm not locking myself into that one. Don't be. Don't be ridiculous. Um, I feel like. I feel like Tom Stewart is a hot take. Surely. Absolutely not. Vito, go again. Jesus, this is difficult. Can I have Zach Butters as mine? Uh, no. Can I have him as mine? He's in midfield only, though. Yeah. Can I have him? Can we both have him? <laughs> but we can't have the same. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work. All right, so I get Zach Butters. Who are you picking? Wait a minute. You can, have, you can have Tom Stewart. I don't want Tom Stewart. Oh, well, I thought everyone was picking him. <laughs> No, as in, I don't want him because he's being started in 30% of teams. So there's no I feel like he's him. definitely not going to be. But now, I mean, now he's going to be. That feels like something you don't want to lock yourself into. But if he's playing on the half-back line, but why would that feels he? good. Because he ended the season there this year. Well, he played really well. I guess Rioli was injured and they do throw around a bunch of players. Okay, okay. Wait, wait, wait. Lucky Whip. No, no, that's worse. Um, Max gone. No, okay. We'll take that back. Can it be Slam- Sam Flanders? I really like him. Yeah, I'll let you have Sam Flanders. Ah. Oh. oh, yeah. I would have just done that in the first place. Okay. okay. Right, so you got you have to start Zach Butters and Clayton Oliver Jesus. and Tom Stewart, and I'll start Slam- <laughs> Sam Flanders. Oh, no. Okay, my team's Done. already decided. Could have said Sheasel or something. Being All right, she's all two. You're locked in. All right, I'm, I'm not going to commit to that, but I appreciate it. That's too many defenders. I'm only going with a one defender structure. you got Nick Dacos too. Oh, God. All right, I definitely yeah, will start Dacos because I can't bear to watch there. a Collingwood player, a, 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 you know, a Collingwood game without Nick Dacos. So Dacos that, that's me with Butters set. now. I mean, it already was me with Butters, but now it's me with Butters in the belief that he's going to play 23 games. I've already selected three premium midfielders and it's not even the game's not even open. I don't have many more slots. Lucky Jordan Sweet to Port Adelaide will free you up a lot of money with him at R2. Oh, I really want to pick English. Like, I really want to pick I English. I really don't. I, I think Gorn and Sweet slash Grundy, Sweet and or Grundy, will be my three Ruckman. I'd be very Grundy? surprised if it's not. Well, like Sweet, 250K. If, I, if I'm going with high-priced... Guys that are going to play guaranteed on my bench and make money, there's a chance I get an expensive ruckman for my bench. If he's playing that's 23 games for Port as the sole ruck, which he would if we got him and not Grundy, and Grundy's playing for Sydney, I think I think all players on their merit get in, including Gordon. How does how does a Grundy ruck in sweet in sweet work at Port Adelaide hypothetically like like? Lysa just doesn't play and he jumps all the other ruck and then he's yeah. just in and that's it. Yes. Oh. Yeah, correct. Okay. All our, all our backup ruckmen are, are just not good enough and Lysa is like on the brink of retirement. If, if he's not retiring this year, he's on like a one-year deal and playing sand for next year. What about if Goldie, Goldie goes somewhere good? Like where? Uh, no, yeah, no. He's like thirty-eight. It's no. like seventy-six. If he went to, even if he went to Geelong, but he won't anyway. He'll stay where he is. Um, what about Briggs? Yeah, no, no, I, I think Briggs is the future. I love Briggs. He's awesome. Um, he is awesome. But like, not for the 
590k that it'll be. Nah, I just think that's... I think there's going to be a lot of value. I think Gorn is going to be the highest value player, especially when he's Sol Ruck again. Yeah, I'm picking I think Gorn. Grundy's going to be a close second, and I think Sweet is going to be a close third if he's at Port. I, I think it's just like yeah. crazy. Well, I mean, if Grundy... Maybe Sweet over Grundy. Sweet over Grundy might be the way, if but... If Grundy and Sweet go to Port, then what happens? Nah, I don't think we get both because I, I think Sweet only moves if he's going to be number one Ruck. Fair enough. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I'd love to pick English. I really do want to pick English. He's just so good. Yeah, I just think it, there's going to be better options. But like, I think he can get. I mean, better. I'm open to it. I'm open <laughs> to everything at this point. I mean, he definitely can get better. <laughs> but like, the players that you're looking at for 100 to 150k cheaper, I know. the price could go very close. It's like 450k cheaper in the case of Jordan Sweet. Like literally a premium yeah, I mean, midfielder difference. Yeah, like I would. Have I mean, to, if Jordan I'd Sweet, pick Sweet, Sweet over Grundy, very, 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 like, like not likely. There's a very, very strong possibility that I just go Sweet at R two. You know, most likely R three to play at R three, and then Gorn and Sweet. And Sweet, like, what have we? What's our rule? What's our golden rule every year? Is that if you're averaging. If you're playing Soul Ruck, you're averaging 90 plus. Like uh, yeah, simple. at least 80 plus. So especially starting Ruck, like you got to pick them and put them on your field because they just dominate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people who had Briggs R2 pretty much did did really well from it, from just the value. Yep. Thank you. That, that'll be me. Um, yeah, I, I just, if we completely believe in that, which I think we do, then if he goes to Port, if Granny chooses Sydney, then I think it's just like, a home run you just you just knock it and spend your money elsewhere and I think it would probably enable Bontempelli um, which I think people <laughs> my midfield's already set on. <laughs> yeah I'm just like money wise I'm not a, I'm not completely guaranteed to start Bontempelli but I think I probably do you don't need him if you're Dacos probably not I would mean mostly da- joking Dacos but tag really... games are pretty Dacos tag games are pretty predictable. Like, yeah, if you see Hawthorne round one and... or round two, probably like, eh. You still start him, but... I don't think you need to like, if the obvious tags are coming. But I mean, I'm going to start him because... I think you do. We don't start, but... I think a big issue that we had this year was that we overrated the tags. Well, there's only one good really tagger. Come. It's just Finn. Well, the, the, well, Finn wasn't used until like round 13. Yeah, but now 14, he's, in, he's in... Later. He's right in their, in their best best team. Yeah, but people still tagged, but it just wasn't always the play that we thought and it didn't always impact. As I don't know before. about you, man. I got all the taggers right from Finn until the end of the season, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> didn't affect my captaincy, so... <laughs> I captained Jeez, Zach Merritt 95 instead. I'm looking at Libba's scores, he was unbelievable this year. Like, he... I mean, he, he got that 20 so and good. still averaged 116. Yeah, he was so good. I'd be absolutely floored to my core if I started him next year. Though. No, he's no value, but he's an upgrade option. I think among the players that are going to be highly owned that I'm almost no chance of starting are like your players like that, like Libba, Zach Merritt even. 116 is going to be priced So at. Zach Merritt's interesting because he averaged... Like literally um, to round nine, his average is 103. 
And then yep. from that point onwards, went above 120. Like he just exploded. Um, yeah. He still had average games here or there. I, like, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't have that trust with merit. Like 115 plus all season long guaranteed. Like as in he obviously just did that 115 plus all season. But like in patches. And if you're patchy, I don't think I need to start you in my team at mm. your top price. I mean, Dunkley wasn't patchy. So I, I still feel like he's patchy. Dunkley is in, he is predictably injured at some point and bad post injury. Yeah, predictably very now. Interesting. He's done it like three or four years. He has been injured and come back worse. And we always said it's because Magneto puts him in the forward line when he's back from the injury. But this year he turned out three sub tons in five matches. After post-injury. having one sub ton all the way until around 20. All year. So yeah. do we start him and then yeah. just trade him out Crazy. of his injury? <laughs> well, that's what I did this year, so I guess. But um, yeah, I, I think like we look back at this and we say, thank you for becoming a little tiny bit cheaper next season. We're still going to start you. You're still going to be expensive. You're going to be midfield only. But you averaged like 122 up until round 20. And that is just like impossible to ignore. Your price at 115, you've got 120 plus upside and we just hope you don't get injured late in the season and come back and play like Yeah, it's horrible. very possible I picked Dunkley. If I had chosen him as my slightly, if I don't start, would that have been accepted? Ah, no. Okay, well, I'm glad I didn't offer that up then and look like a fool. I think... I think next year, like there are going to be enough guys that we like the look of and like the price of enough that we don't have to get like the sarongs and the like the edgy guys that are low owned. We want to look at those people risky. now. That's what our whole big talking point about the cheaper. No, no, a hundred percent. We we want to look at those guys, but like the guys that we choose are on the edgy side that are, just aren't worth the risk. Those are the guys, not necessarily strong, but those are the guys that we're not going to start and we're going to pick off during the year at lower prices. Took like, Miller. I, I can I feel that with the midfield next year. Took Miller. I mean, we took Miller might absolutely <laughs> be startable at his price, but um, but like the guys like that are around that price that we think could do it. Like the I don't want to start Chera. I don't want to start Sarong. I don't want to start uh, Brayshaw. I could start. Um, I don't want to start Dawson particularly. Uh, Liber. I don't want to start um, Merritt. Potentially not. Led, um, the, these names I think will still have good seasons, but I don't particularly am in love with starting yeah. them. Um, I think they might be the types of players that we identify as. You know, we can pick this guy up at some stage for a cheaper price or the same price that he's starting at. But it's the guys with the crazy upside. Like I think Tom Green has crazy upside, right? Brayshaw Tom might Green's be in that category bro. with crazy upside. He played. He missed four games this year. He is kind of injury Every prone. Year. Yeah. Um, God, he was good this week though, and God, he finished the season well, didn't he? <laughs> I mean, one twenty six, one twenty nine, one nineteen, one forty five, and wedged in there as a seventy three before the injury. But before that was the one twenty eight, one twenty seven. Um, like that is that is the run that we wanted. Was he injured during the game in that seventy three? Oh, I can't remember. Because he he missed the next week or weeks, sir. I can't remember if he was injured during the game or not. But regardless, that is a run that we're like, that is why we started him. We saw that for potentially half a year and the other half a year being lower tons. 
and we're like, that's a 115 plus average easy. He ended up with a 111, but you can still see the 115 plus next year. Alrighty. Four games missed. I don't know. I kind of just want to keep talking about potential guy. I feel like this is the most useful chat that we've had so far is like looking at guys that we could potentially start or not start. What about start George Hewitt? And, and sort of just giving our thoughts. Oh, what's he going to be priced at? Not much. Priced at 78. He would have to be in that midfield like three, not even midfield four. Like he'd have to be in the midfield three. Yeah, I think. I'm and I think he actually should be, but I just don't think he scared. will be. Because I think like, I think guys like Walsh should Walsh should go back to a wing. To be honest, that I think that's his best position. Um, and he plays like a winger when he's in the midfield. And I don't know if that's particularly helpful for the midfield, but um, I'm not a coach, so you know, whatever. But I like him on a wing. I like Chera coming up from half forward and playing like that high half forward role. And he just gets involved and he kicks goals. I think Hewitt is so useless outside of that midfield three that he just ha- he should be in there. But I just don't think they use him in there. Like they've got too many guys who can just do the things. And by the way, Walsh and Chair are both incredible midfielders as well. But it's the fact that they're really good in other positions that I think Hewitt should get a midfield role. But I don't think he will. If he does, though, mm. like God, that price is going to be really tempting. I got a question. Yep. Zach Bailey, he's like always been way too good to just be a forward forever, right? Like at some stage, surely he can become a midfielder. Like he's way too talented. I don't understand what's going on here. Well, who have they got in there at the moment? Like McCluggage barely gets a rep in there. Well, I mean, Ashcroft is so injured good. with that ACL, so that's why I'm thinking. Um, maybe next I don't know maybe next yeah. year's the year and we're lack on forward options and we'll have forward status maybe he's someone to keep an eye on like he just doesn't get the midfield time but I don't understand why I mean is it because he's just such a good forward like so damaging up front like I feel like but he's not that good forward like he's not yeah, Charlie he's not, Cameron not. levels of a forward so he should be playing That's why I don't the understand. At times like what's going on does he get any reps in there like I don't know if you have the CBA screen I don't, still but open, I'm but bring it open right um, now. Some detective work. Okay, you do that. Um, yeah, like he, I, I got him. I acquired him recently in a keeper league, and considering there's no forwards available next year, I will be keeping him and yeah, watching him. Twenty three percent CBAs. Yeah, if, see, if that pushed up to like forty percent, he'd just be like a really good. Why can't pick. he? Like. I don't understand. I don't know. He has all the tools to be. Elite. He's definitely good enough, and he, he's got. He brings that dynamic. Yeah, okay. I, I, I just don't understand I what's holding him back. Is it because Brisbane are so good, and now it's like a bit late to just throw him in there and no. hope that he's doesn't make the sense best? to me. Who have they got? That like, I mean, I know that I know Ashcroft is out injured now, but they have another one that they play through. Barry, Barry, when Ashcroft is out, plays through there a lot. I'd rather Zach Bailey going through there than Barry personally. I mean, there's just it looks I, like they. They were using Dev Robertson. Um, they were lo- losing yeah, Zorko. Dev, Dev probably goes to WA this year. Zorko. They Zorko were using should Lions. retire. I mean, Lions should also retire. On? Yeah, you just hope like the, if the cards fall right, he could get a lot more midfield time next year. A lot more. Yeah, I don't know. I always thought it was interesting because um, his his certainly yeah, price is we'll seventy seven to watch, which is, I mean, Himmelberg's price. 80, and I'm very, very interested in Himmelberg at 80 as a forward. Pretty confident he'll be 
he'll be a popular pick if he's um, if he's kept that defensive role, mostly for the fact that he, he's just like a guaranteed ninety just plus in that defensive yeah. role, right? Like guaranteed, like ten points underpriced, locked in. Uh, someone that you'll be looking at, like yeah, I can just start this guy and not worry about him going down in price ever, which is really good, which is really underrated. Um, Whitfield finished the year well, like jokes aside. Yeah. He did, but I, I don't know if he can ever go back to that well. I'll, I'll tell you right now, I don't think I'll ever have him in a team of mine again. <laughs> that burn is real. He, but he's just so quick to change positions and and or forget how to kick or get injured or like he ticks every bad box in Supercoach. And I know he can look incredible at times and average 115 in the last eight rounds and look great, but he can also do it in the first what was it, 13 rounds and averaged like 72. It's just like awful, awful, awful. Like he could be a trade out in a matter of a week and it's just really not good. <sighs> I'm looking, I'm, I'm quite far down the list, but there's no one that's really... Uh... Jack McRae, I wonder if he... I mean, he'll be forward eligible. He'll be one of the remaining forward eligible players that we like. Yeah. Is he going to start the... I wonder if he's going to say the Bulldogs. I wonder if he's going to get his role back. I wonder, but they miss finals. Something has to change, whether it's in the coaching department, in the personnel department, in the structure department. Something has to change because they can't be missing finals no, with that list. Absolutely not. I, I hope the change is Jack McRae because having a good Jack McRae in the forward line, I don't care how highly he's owned, is just fun. Like It just sounds really fun. I'm always intrigued, again, if I go back to the Brisbane well, now that Rich has retired, just like Kitty Coleman taking it to the next level or, or Darcy Wilmot taking it to the next level, or some, something happening between one of them to become premium. Like the potential is there, but I just need to see more. Oh. I think Coleman's. What about enough. your mid season smoky Jermaine Jones? Oh, what's he going to be? 68. Uh, uh, West Coast. West Coast surely have to do enough like recruiting or drafting or like those guys can't be in the lucrative roles they were in this year, right? Like <laughs> it just, if, if they are, then I'm just going to be captaining against West Coast every week again, which is possible, but like surely Duggan, not. I still, surely I still, I liked Duggan at the, in the preseason this year and he went 90 and he was getting, I don't know, mixed between halfback and, and, CBA time, but I'm interested to see how the he midfield. Yeah, like I think he's got 100 average potential, which if he's a defender, that's probably good enough. But I need to see more in the preseason. But he's on my watch list still. There's going to be a lot of defenders and midfielders and ruckman. We are going to be talking extensively about left field forward options, and that excites me to no end because so long we have just had you know so many midfielders in defence or halfbacks who take kick-ins, so many midfielders in the midfield, obviously, so many good rucks, and so many midfielders in the forward line. And now it's like everything is just falling into place where let's go through the top forwards. Dunkley, midfield only next year. Butters, midfield only. Golden, midfield only. Rosie, midfield only. Taranto, midfield only. Cogsit, midfield only. That's the top six forwards of this year, all midfield only. Sheasel was the eighth. He'll be defender <laughs> only. Like we get, go we get through Tom this, Jay and, it, and it's three. It's okay. going to be like two eighty k. Moving on. No, it's going to be like two eighty k. That's like a. Free, oh yeah, of course. Free pick. I, I got a smoky for but you. That that sh- that you might like. Wait, oh, 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 oh. before yeah. you get to that, 
who are you predicting as like a top three forwards next year? I want. I just want three names. Walsh. I won't even ask for five <laughs> or more. Walsh will not be forward eligible at any stage. Nah. Mm. Well, throwing a pickle. Well, you've got one, which which is Jack McRae. Is it a guarantee? Yeah, for top three, yes. Even as a forward, he I mean, we went 99.9 this year. Uh, Dylan Moore. I'm not even sorting by forwards. See, that, I don't that, even know where I'm looking. That, that is one I don't mind. Three round, five round of 104 and the year finished the season on a 91 average. I don't mind. But if you go through his easy here, like he had a period between round four and 10 where he didn't turn up. Not just didn't turn up. He scored 90 plus once. Yeah, that's not great. I've seen better scores. Like that's really bad. Dusty on the so Gold Coast? Dusty's not going to the Gold <laughs> no, Coast. No, Dusty on the Gold Coast. You, you're missing the other obvious one, which is Sam Flanders. But then like we've got potentially Taron Thomas. Yeah, yeah. Potentially Jeremy Cameron if he puts together a season. Not just two weeks like he this year. Oh God! Like it, that's fun. This sounds, but you it know sounds what? horrible. It, but it sounds fun. Mid-season DPP changes, then they get all taken away. Probably we got to start all sorts of like mid prices up forward just to save and buy time to get the premium midfielders who just get injured and play <laughs> forward a little bit, then get the DPP and then never play in the forward line again. Charlie Kerno could be an absolute lock next year and that excites me and I'm just going to go with that and that's going to get me to sleep tonight because I would love to watch Charlie Kerno week in and week out take pack marks and kick five goals a game against horrible teams, score 178 against West Coast. Uh, and you can get him cheap. That, that excites me. He can put out stinkers. Yeah, but he'll be starting. He'll be, he'll be my... They've got Richmond round one. Richmond are going to finish bottom three. He's going to kick like 12 goals. He'll be captain round one, vice captain. Could Isaac Rankin? <laughs> yeah, but these are the guys we're going to be I mean, talking about. that would about. be fun. I would enjoy that. Uh, okay, I think we'll put everyone to sleep now. Two hours I never got to minutes. tell you my smoky. Well, better wait till next year now. <laughs> Who's the smoky? Uh We'll take a, a 20% discount Ratio on Fantasia? Heath Chapman. <laughs> we price it like... As a nah, forward? As a defender. We price it like uh, give or take oh. 50. But defenders are give or take dozen, 50. Man. I don't, not... Average. Okay. Give or take 50. <laughs> Sorry. That's, that's, that's cheap. You didn't have to sub, sub 300K. <laughs> Here we go again. Heath Chapman. He's back in. I, can, I can't wait to Here trade him at the again. end of round two. Nick Larkey had a three-round average of 121. I mean, it's funny how many goals he kicked to average sub-70 super coach. Yeah, not a <laughs> It's pretty great. And he didn't even get to play North Melbourne, so it's, it's rough. I think that makes you more yeah, impressive. Absolutely. He's had to kick zero goals. He would have averaged 100 if he got to play North Melbourne twice. There's a good chance of that, actually. Um, okay, that look, that's going to do us. Uh, huge shout out to those who gave us the questions for the podcast and the talking topics. 
Um, a little bit different this year to what we usually do. Usually we just write it down our, who was your favorite pick of the season? What was your worst trade? Um, I hope this format is a little bit more helpful. Um, I think it's helped me a lot and it's going to help me in the preseason next year. We will reference this podcast a lot in the preseason next year. That, that is my main goal. Um, we have a couple of other left field podcasts coming out over the next, let's say, four months uh, that are potentially Supercoach related or not. Um, so that's going to be really interesting. Um, one where we talk about biases, um, which will definitely be one that I reference a lot Spoilers. as well. Um, we, Yeah, I mean, that's already been said. So you, you obviously don't listen to our nope. content, but... Um, again, rehashing that there will be a bias podcast put out. Um, Pistol has no biases towards our content, which is great, I guess. Um, but yeah, that'll do us for the season. Look, huge shout out to all the all the patrons that sign up. Huge shout out to everyone, <clears throat> as I lose my voice, that listened um, throughout the year. We had still really good listening numbers. I, I think the numbers for Supercoach are not going up like Supercoach people would hope, but our listens are staying pretty steady which we just really appreciate it's been a long year a tough year um and if you're still tuning in at this point which is super super thanks everybody for sticking with us and i hope you have a great off season and we'll uh i mean hopefully you won't have to hear from me until team picker opens for for all of your sakes (laughs) does that mean you'll stop calling oh no they'll say everyone else not you i'm still going to call you every night okay (laughs) all right Um, All right, well, cheers, everyone. We'll chat to you soon. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.